I feel like if you are prone, if you know that you are prone to road rage, mm-hmm. you should not tint your windows. Because <laughs> then, no, like, like a couple of days ago, I was in a parking lot and this car drove out and cut off someone else who had the right of way. Yeah. And then the other car had all black windows, but they sat there after they honked for like 10 seconds. I assume <laughs> they were angry <laughs> and like <laughs> making gestures or saying something. But as I drove past them, I was like, I have no idea what you just did. I feel like that's the, the perfect reason to, to get tinted windows. Like you can react and gesticulate however you want and you're I not guess, going to like actually cause a confrontation. I mean, if you are confrontation averse, but you are prone to red, road rage, then you <laughs> must have, you have a rough self-existence. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like if you are prone to road rage, you are prone to try to get other people to your level because you are <laughs> very upset irrationally and you are trying to get other people to throw the first punch so you can be in self-defense mode and then you know, <laughs> say your piece. Wow. Okay. This is a whole psychology to road rage that I'd never considered. I'm just trying to throw, I'm just trying to throw a little business to our buddy, Chris, along the way, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> a friend who, who owns a uh, window tinting, a, a tinting company. Tinting. Yeah, yeah. 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 And well, just I like, feel like if you, you get, get, get that, get that road rage market coming into Castaneda tinting. I think it is. It should be part of his interview process of like because <laughs> oh. there are there so are different levels of clients. Tint. He needs to, well, he there needs are different to... levels of tints you can get. So oh, it's more yeah. just like, do you want a slight tint or do you want yeah. a blackout? And he's, and they're right. like, well, right. no, like you know, what what can I realistically put on my car? And he's like, well, it's, are you prone to road rage? Yeah, how badly well, do you, you know, want sometimes. people to see it when you flip them off? Right. Do you yeah. want people to see how angry you get when you drive? That is the question. <laughs> then I feel like, I don't know, I would hope that most sane people, when they're answering this, in, in, in the cold light of day, right? During, <laughs> and while to they're God. Not, when, they're, when they're not, when they're not, in the driving. throes of passion and driving, and they're just talking to mild-mannered Chris, uh-huh. just, and he asks them a simple question. I would hope that they would say, "No, I don't want to be seen when I'm freaking when I'm fucking losing my shit." Well, that assumes I would hope. admission of road rage in the first place. It's true. I feel like the people that get that have the worst road rage do not admit that they have that, the worst road this rage. This is a really good point. <laughs> you, yeah. like, no, I'm I I react realistically and accordingly <laughs> to the situation. <laughs> oh, it's so true. You know who? So, uh, I haven't experienced this myself, but our friend Nathaniel, <laughs> his wife Tiha has mm-hmm. from what i hear the most hilarious road rage in the world really because is it because she, of her accent no it well uh, in part sure <laughs> but also because she doesn't drive herself and oh. so she will get vicarious road rage where like you know somebody does a, a dumbass move on the road and she'll be like nathan you should honk at that man 
you should hunk at them. That's amazing. <laughs> and he'll be like, no, no, we're, we listen that, you know, it, we've moved on. We've the moved on. Gone. It's over. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> She'll be like, I'm not letting it go. Drive up alongside them. She rolls down her window. This is a thing that apparently. Oh my gosh, really are you happened. serious? Rolls down her window and yells with her mouth, with her voice, Hog, hog! Wow. I would not know what to do in that situation. <laughs> right? It's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. I was going to add in my two cents that Alana, my wife, is like that. But she does not honk honk. She just, yeah, but she goes out of her way to give the death stare and Mm -hmm. waits for you to make eye contact. Uh (laughs) And so, like, (laughs) we'll get cut off. And I'll be like, oh, man. She'll be like, I can't believe that. I'm like, yeah. Oh, well. And and then something happens where we get to pass them. And I'm like, babe, here they come. I got him. I got him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you're an accomplice in this. Oh yeah. I mean at this point, <laughs> we've been together for long enough that I I, I know the tells. <laughs> I see from the corner of my eye, I see her head just rotate as we pass the car. <laughs> We're like, did you get him, babe? Yeah, I got him. All right, cool. <laughs> Let's go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, that's a good yeah. one to start a show on, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what are we doing here? What is this? Yeah. <laughs> this is Hype is My Superpower, and it's a podcast uh, where we talk about the things that we're hyped on, reading comic books largely. Will, you are continuing to read every single Marvel 616 comic book as it comes out in trade paperback, mind you. And for my part, I am continuing along my death march to read every single X-Men comic ever published. And currently, that means a whole lot of 1999. Although, this week we had a good week. And we also started reading Sandman. We did start reading Sandman. And I am so excited. This episode. Yes. This is my third attempt. We will be talking about that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) This will be fun. This will be fun. Yeah. I'm here for it. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, do you have anything more you want to say before we get into the episode? Or you want to talk... You want to tell me what you read this week? I will... Okay, so... I will addendum yes. slightly that I read all of 616 and alternate universes that will be used or have been used uh, in yes. stories involving 616. I'm guessing that this is an important caveat for your reading of this week. Eh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also for a caveat for the future because now that I'm caught up right. on releases... Yeah, I will have weeks of no new six one six books, but I will have. I do have a backlog of books that are not six one six that mm. involve that were introduced via a six one six storyline, <laughs> like Age of Apocalypse type stuff, okay. Heroes Are Born type stuff, like okay. those kinds of things. And it, like today, sure. I've got I've I have 
a piecing together of some stories from Old Man Logan universe. Okay, cool. So just along those lines, Old Man Logan's amazing. And then it did so well that after they killed off 616 Wolverine, they and after Secret Wars, they brought an right. Old Man Logan <laughs> from the Secret Wars crossover to 616. Uh-huh. And he was the Logan of 616 for a bit and then he got sent back to his reality which was old man logan inspired because it wasn't the exact same logan sure and then he because he was his health was failing so he wanted to go back home to die sure so he had like three trades in that world it wasn't very good he passed away so we're good. We're done. But this <laughs> actually is set in the old man Logan verse. Ah, okay. Non-secret wars. Touched right. Original old man mm-hmm. Logan storyline reality. Yeah. Oh boy. It's kind of a doozy, isn't it? I mean, this is what it's we a little bit of doozy. It, this is what we sign up for when we read comics. We know that oh, yes. there's a healthy helping of all of this bullshit. But yeah, so there will you, be you, sometimes you just say it out loud and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so sometimes instead of really diving into the details, you just say because comics. Right. Exactly. So yeah, so there will be a little bit of backstory needed okay. to talk about this book. For those who don't know, because we haven't technically covered any Old Man Logan stuff here on the pod. So I'm just going to give a little bit of background. Cool. But yeah, it was very, I really liked it for what it does for the verse. So that'll be fun. Anyway, so what did I read this week? So the first book is called Wastelanders. And this is in the universe of Old Man Logan. America is now called the Wastelands. Sure. And it is interesting because on the cover, you have Old Man Logan, you have Old Man Quill, Old Man Hawkeye, and Old Man Black Widow. (laughs) And the reason why that is important is because there have been other series of Old Man Hawkeye and Old Man Quill. Ah, okay. Each of them were like two or three volumes. And this ties them into confirming that it's all within the Old Man Logan verse. Okay. So I appreciated that. Because okay. after Secret Wars, Old Man Logan, anytime I see Old Man, I don't know <laughs> which Old Man it's, is It's this? like, are you just, well, it's just like, are you telling just a random story that is inspired by the Wastelander, would Old Man Logan say, verse, or is this in-universe? Would you say that you are, in, in regards to the proliferation of Old Man characters, are you Old Man yells at Cloud about Old Man Almost. If they, okay, if this didn't exist, if we had this exact conversation last week, I would say probably. <laughs> because the the way this was told makes it so it's now you can now refer to the old man Logan verse as like the old man verse. <laughs> and I am okay with this. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. A week ago, I'd be like, there's too many old men. But now it's, <laughs> but now old man is literally like 616, 1610 ultimate old man. So, like, <laughs> fine. I'm here for it. AOA, <laughs> like, heroes are born, old man. Right. It's fine. I'm here yeah. for it now. Now. <laughs> you got your, uh, your Walter Matthau, your John Lennon, Lemon, grumpy old men. <laughs> 
Yes. Literally three days ago, I would have been on the other side of this coin. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be fun. That That's going to take more time than it should. So we'll, we'll, I'll, with the backstory stuff, but cool. We're going to get there. It's going to be awesome. And then I read the crossover event or I, yeah. Oh yes. The crossover event devil's reign. This is great. I could, I could literally do an entire episode of a podcast off of these seven issues, but wow. I will do my best not to spend too much time because we have other stuff to go over. We have a lot of other stuff. We've got a packed show today. We do. There, I mean, yeah, there's a handful. So it's okay. I'm, I'll, I'll do my best. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> Devil's Reign. And then next week, we're going to go over the Devil's Reign side stories. And yes. And then I also read the first eight issues of The Sandman. Yes. Sandman one through eight. Mm-hmm. Collected in my collection as Preludes and Nocturnes. So that is exciting. I read that as well. And I also read The Astonishing X-Men. Uh, Astonishing X-Men. It's a three-issue limited series from 1999. Not to be confused with The Astonishing X-Men from the Age of Apocalypse or The Astonishing X-Men ongoing run that Joss Whedon started in so like good. 2000. Five-ish. Yeah, this was something different. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Different it was. Oh, boy. And I also read a different three-issue limited series called X-Men True Friends, which was the triumphant return of Chris Claremont to writing X-Men books. And that's a big deal. It's a really big deal. For those of you who don't know, Chris Claremont basically is the most influential X-Men writer ever, like miles above Stan Lee. He wrote the title from 75 when it was on the verge of cancellation until 1991 when it became, and still is to this day, the highest selling single X-Men number one, 1991 that he wrote was the highest selling single issue of comics of all time. And continues to be to this day. And over 16 years, he basically crafted all of the characters, all of the stories, everything that you've heard of or consider X-Men. That was him. And then he got basically forced out in favor of Jim Lee. Mm. He, he kind of felt like why Marvel wanted to return X-Men to, to like core concept. And he was like, but I've already done those stories. And X-Men, he really, he was on it so long, he felt like it was his thing and not really Marvel's thing. And so got pushed out. And then this was the, in, he got pushed out in 91. And this in 99 was his first book back. And we'll see the effects of that for better and for worse. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Was it all just astonishing? Those three, so uh, astonishing X and X Men True Friends. Astonishing, true Friends, right? Yeah, True Friends right, was right, the right. Uh, the Claremont book. Astonishing was <laughs> not Claremont at all. It was very unClaremonty. That's right. My bad. My bad. My bad. You good? Yeah, True. I'm excited for True Friends. We've yes. we, uh, we've been talking. Yeah, bit. we've been talking off pod about it, and it is a wild ride. <laughs> So we want to do my two books, your two titles, and then Sandman? Yeah, let's do it like that. Okay. So 
Wastelanders. Wastelanders. Takes place in the original Old Man Logan verse. AKA the Wasteland. Yeah. AKA, yeah. It takes takes place in the Wastelands. Yeah. But it's the old man verse. <laughs> and and all, and they're all like, hey, you guys want to do some wastelanding? And they're like, guess we're a bunch of wastelanders. <laughs> so <laughs> nobody actually calls them the wastelanders. Uh, good, good. Somebody. So, I mean, even. Yeah. The, the books are called wastelanders. Doesn't matter. Anyway, point is old man Logan in this universe, the villains win. And yeah, that's the major takeaway. What happened with the X Men is Mysterio cast illusions on the X Mansion, and Wolverine in a Berserker rage ended up killing every single X Man by his own hands. Mm-hmm. Mysterio drops the illusion. He's like, "Thank you for your service, Logan." And then Logan figures, finds out what he does. He goes and tries to commit suicide by letting a train wolf run over his head. Point is. Throughout the rest of America, all the villains have finally banded together and they all won. Uh, All the heroes have been killed and the United States gets divvied up into like five different territories. It's like the Lizards territory, the Red Skull, someone else, someone else doesn't matter. And then uh, (laughs) the Hulk ends up getting his own territory. Yeah. And 50 years have passed. Bruce Banner in his Hulk form has a basically a giant plethora of family Hulk babies that were uh, born of his cousin, Jennifer Walters, who some of you may know from a wild Disney plus show called she Hulk. And uh, because of that, they have, you know, developmental issues, whatever. So they become Hulk hillbillies basically. And that is the, that's the area where Logan has found a new love and a new family. Uh, he ever since the deception, he has refused to pop his claws. Mm-hmm. Stuff happens. His family gets he okay. Sorry, he gets told to go deliver this thing to someone else, and in order to do that, he hires old man Hawkeye. Yeah, Hawkeye has since gone blind, but right. he's still snarky, Clint Barton. Yeah. old man he has the spider buggy <laughs> <laughs> they go and do this mission by the time they come back logan's family is killed uh, by some of hulk's offspring logan pops his claws for the first time kills the entire hulk family kills banner well banner eats him and then <laughs> he claws his way out of his stomach kills all the hulks with the exception of this baby bruce hulk like sure. actual infant yeah. and old man Logan ends with him with the infant going off, walking into the sunset. Since then they've done an old man Hawkeye book. Okay. And which Marvel takes will place, not leave a good idea alone. Absolutely. Old man <laughs> Logan sold so well. And they, yep. they've been trying to find ways to capitalize on that. Bring him to six, one, six from an alternate universe. That was yep. old man esque was not, the way to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> they did old man Hawkeye for a couple volumes and you find, and this is, it takes place before old man Logan when he's starting to lose his sight yeah. and he's going around and he's decided to take revenge on the Avengers that were killed. And the Thunderbolts were the ones that killed the Avengers. Mm. Also timing wise, old man Logan happened 
it was written in the early 2000s. Yeah. So this is post onslaught. And so uh, post onslaught, post disassembled, like mm-hmm. Thunderbolts are a thing as heroes. And we, right. they've already been revealed as villains. Uh, Young Avengers are just starting to come up. The whole thing. Anyway, so the Thunderbolts are the ones that killed the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And so Hawkeye, in his Old Man Hawkeye book, is going around taking revenge and killing all of the Old Man Thunderbolts. Okay. Like, what are they doing? Yeah. Peter Quill, Old Man Quill, he, while all this happened, he was being, he was, quote unquote, busy being a king on Spartax. Okay. And then Galactus came and killed Spartax, destroy, or ate Spartax, devoured Spartax. Okay. And then he gets away and he sees old man versions of the Guardians, Gamora, Rocket, and Drax. They convince him to go to Earth to uh, figure out what's going on there. He learns about all the, all the villains winning, yada, yada, yada. Turns out that Drax, Rocket, and Gamora were visions that he had they were just like spirits in his head okay. he finds he realizes that they're already dead and he goes there to get the ultimate nullifier to destroy galactus uh-huh and then this book also makes avengers of the badlands canon avengers of the badlands we did cover and i gave it no time a day <laughs> but it was like adult kamala viv vision like one or two others and they banded together to go and fight dr doom old man dr doom okay and you find out that dr doom is this like tragic story about like the re- fantastic four have died and he's been trying to recreate fantastic four like people huh. so he could have a climactic battle to die and have like a, a king's death kind of a thing interesting because his heart was failing and he was going to die soon and he didn't want to die a decrepit like a chump. Yeah. To. Yeah. But so this book, so this is five issues. One of them is Wastelanders Doom. Okay. And it and so it makes his story canon within old man verse. Sure. That's kind sure. Of fun. Yeah. Anyway, so it's five issues. First one is Wolverine, second is Star as Hawkeye, Star Lord, Doom, Black Widow. Okay. So the Wolverine issue takes place. Basically, right a little bit after Old Man Logan. So Hulk is dead. Red Skull is dead. Sorry, at the end of Old Man Logan, he kills all, he kills sure. Hulk, and then he goes and kills Red Skull. You might as well. Yeah. You see a Nazi kill a Nazi. This is something that Kitty Pride will will talk about quite a bit in my reading. Absolutely. For this yeah. So Old Man Logan goes to a town that's been completely destroyed, and there's like this adamantium iron man suit they're waiting for him okay and logan ends up figuring out who's in the suit and it ends up being this like mechanical head of banner oh boy okay yeah and so banner says yeah you know a long time ago i had the tinkerer put together this contingency plan basically if something happened then my head or i get put into this our adamantium Iron Man suit that's powered by gamma instead of by an arc reactor. Okay, sure. So if he hulks out, then the the, the matter he gets, the stronger the armor gets. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. So anyway, they fight. 
Logan's losing. Baby Bruce sees it and he pulls a Gohan from <laughs> like episode three of Dragon Ball Z. Uh-huh. He like baby hulks out, does a giant flying punch and punches the head off of, of Banner. And wow. the whole time he's screaming daddy. And so just it's just like a little yeah. character arc that shows that Bruce sees old man Logan as his father. Sure. And then it ends with Logan taking Banner's still living head and burying it in the ground. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's like, yeah. Well, as he's falling in, he says, I'll kill you. And he's like, you ain't going to do nothing but suck dirt. And after I'm done shoveling it, I'm going to plant a tree over that big, green, ugly head of yours. It's going to send roots into your skull, slow and painful. Then one day, years from now, I'm going to come back through here and sit under the shade of the tree with my son by my side. He walks away. <laughs> like, good Lord. All right. <laughs> so... <laughs> So that was fun. And then the issue of Hawkeye takes place between after Hawkeye number 12. So he's gotten his revenge on his Thunderbolts, but before old man Logan. So before okay. he teams up with Logan. So this is as his side is pretty much gone. Okay. He decides he wants, he goes and trains with uh, Matt Murdock, who oh. is now going by stick. Cool. <laughs> also the juggernaut is in this. And cool. he has arthritis in his knees. And so, like, he's incredibly slow, but he's also still unstoppable. That's fantastic. <laughs> fun, just a little fun fact. Anyway, so Clint is, has been training to fight without sight mm-hmm. from Stick, yeah. Daredevil. And then kind of the final lesson that Daredevil gives Hawkeye, the last mission is he drops him towards a compound and like off of a helicopter. And he's okay. like, count to 10, then pull the string kind of a thing. <laughs> uh, okay. He, he pulls the string around 15 instead of 10. And, and Daredevil's like, you're an idiot. Anyway, so turns out he got dropped into, oh, <sighs> Daredevil gives him a box. And he's like, There's, there is um, something inside it. When you get to the boss of the compound, open it and pierce their heart with it. Okay. And he's like, okay. Gets to this compound, and it's turns out it's a hand compound. Well, it's a compound full of hand ninjas. Sure. None of them speak, but they're all making noise, kind of like what we saw near the end of the first season of Daredevil. Oh yeah. On Netflix now yeah, on Disney yeah. Plus, and so he's fighting by listening to their movements. Mm. and shooting that way. So it's just showing kind of the results of his training, yada, yada, yada. Cool. Fights his way to the center. Turns out it's old old woman, Electra, And she's like, just because you're blind, don't think I'm not going to go easy on you. Like, sure. <laughs> or don't yep. think I'm going to go easy on you. And he's like, oh, whatever. I, I'm blind, but I can still smell your perfume well enough to fight. And she's like, oh, I guess I better break your nose. Anyway, so <laughs> he's like, fine, you asked for it. And so he opens the box and it's some flowers and it's like this is the weapon to pierce the heart and daredevil was uh, like i never said it was a weapon <laughs> and electra stops she grabs the flowers. she's like oh matthew you remembered and it's like the hologram <laughs> of matt of matt it's like of course my love happy anniversary he's like wait a second <laughs> you sent me to deliver flowers to your ex-girlfriend your evil ex-girlfriend <laughs> like i mean i couldn't electra and i would have 
to fight to the death if we were in the same place at the same time. And she's like, yeah, it's a code of honor thing. Don't worry about it. I do still love him though. <laughs> that is extremely Matt and Electra. I like this. A right. Lot. Yeah. <laughs> so Matt said it wasn't just about delivering flowers to Electra. It was about delivering one final lesson to you, Clint. You may be blind now, but in your mind, what memories do you still see from before you lost your vision? Is it a first kiss, a sunset, a moment spent with your daughter, or is it something darker? Clint, mm. I'm not training my students to get revenge for the past. I'm training my students to build a f- better future. Mm. And he says, then I guess I failed. And so he leaves to go do his uh, own thing. And then, so his daughter is the the spider of old man. Okay. She has spider powers. And, Interesting. Uh, she's, she goes by spider woman, I assume. But we meet her in Old Man Logan. So that's why that's a reference to it. Okay. Wastelander Star-Lord, Quill. This takes place before the end of the Quill series, which is uh, issue 12. Yeah. And fun that we're actually having this conversation today. But <laughs> so he has the Milano getting repaired by Viv Vision. And okay. in the meantime, he is driving to Westchester County. And he goes there and he makes his way to Xavier's school for gifted youngsters. Mm -hmm. It's run down and he wants to go and leave some flowers for Kitty. Mm. And then he sees Kitty come through the wall. She's like, hello. It's like, wait, I thought all the X-Men were killed. How did you survive? He's like, that's the thing. I didn't. He's Uh like, ah, damn it. So now he's seeing more. More visions. Yeah, yeah. And then she goes down the she goes down through the floor. He's like, what the hell? How am I supposed to follow you? And then a door opens. And so he goes down this hall. He sees a dead Cyclops. All of these people are like completely clawed up to like Kitty has three chunks of her like abdomen missing. Yeah, yeah. She's and then he sees Cyclops. He's battle torn and like yeah. His eyes been gouged on his way to Age of Apocalypse. And then he sees Nightcrawler, Storm, Colossus, and Beast. And they're all just giving him shit like, where the hell were you? Basically, like all the survivor's guilt just being thrown at him. It's like, you know, you ignored your your home planet. You, You say you went to go be a king and live it up. But like, you completely ignored where your other half is from basically and then they're just yeah basically just all the guilt and then he sees captain america iron man thing and nova rich writer and he's just being guilt-ridden 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 and then he makes his way to cerebro where Kitty is there and she starts getting angry and she starts to transform and everyone starts melding together and become this like big giant tentacle monster just giving them all kinds of crap and then he's like oh i see what this is and like he kind of breaks the illusion he's like i get it like i saw dead people earlier i see dead people now like this is Mm. we're done with this i've this is ridiculous turns out this was all shadow king oh god okay psychic entity trapped in cerebro and losing his life and he's trying to find any mind to jump into to get him out interesting so he's trying to break quill so he can jump into his mind and just get out of 
get freedom, basically. Oh, okay. And Quill completely rejects him. He shoots him, even though he's in natural form. Then the computer goes out, and uh, it was just kind of this little, like, mental journey for uh, Quill. It ends with him meeting up with the vision. She's like, hey, you're... Uh, uh, your ship is ready, the Milano. He's like, you know why I called it the Milano? It's because I named it after this girl I saw on TV I had a crush on before I left Earth the first time. It's a testament to my love, as if I knew what love was back then. Viv, can you change the ship's designation from here so I can alter any and all data used by the ship's computer? What would you like to call her? I'm thinking the pride. Yeah. So that was kind of nice. And then Wastelander's Doom takes place prior to Old Man Quill and Avengers of the Wastelands. I believe in Old Man Quill, Doom had the ultimate nullifier. So this is like before that. Yeah. So Doom, basically, he finds out about this city in his territory that the Doom bots refuse to go to. So he goes there and tries to figure out what's going on. It's it's being There's all peace and there's like actual crops growing and all kinds of weird stuff going on that's just inexplicable and none of them remember who doom is and so he uses this spectacle of truth to see behind the magic that's going on he sees just like scared a scared person uh, behind the illusion of this old blind lady who's just weaving a a, like a, a scarf at the front gate he sees crops being rained on and it was just kind of a fun use of magic that the rain is being stolen from 1645. So like, they're just like time traveling rain to <laughs> grow their crops. Okay. I thought that was awesome. That is interesting. <laughs> anyway, so he fights, he has to fight his way to the center of town. Everyone basically says it's a rare fight, careless, relentless. They fight like the devil is at their heels. Like they're running from a cruel death to a quick one. Doom provides. And so he's just slaughtering people. And then he sees one last person and that says, okay, to enter, you must prove your metal to pay it. Yeah, pay it all. I'm familiar. Let's let's get this going. Uses the vision and sees um, the ladies like, leave this place, save yourself. And says, I stand, I accept your terms. Very good. Follow me. So he starts seeing visions of Mephisto holding onto his mother's soul to try to distract him from continuing on he's like this i've seen all this before i'm sure. moving on so it's it's like it shows first it's walking through his fears and then it's walking through his dreams and he sees his first love valeria not valeria richards okay but turns out valeria richards was named after named after okay. his first love from uh before all because, the doom shit because he did he yeah he did get to name Valeria Richards. Mm -hmm. His goddaughter. Yeah. And then, so she's like, do you want to stay here? He's like, no, we need to, we need to keep going. Uh, And then, so the last thing is to pay a toll. It's going to cost a memory, a memory of significance. It will be lost to you forever. Where do we start? And then she says, who's the baby? And she shows the birth of Valeria and says, Oh, yeah, this is Valeria Richards, uh, Reed's daughter, my goddaughter. Sue was dying in childbirth. I managed to save her and the baby. I triumphed where Reed failed. I named her Valeria. Oh, you named her after? Yes. This is too precious. You cannot have this memory. Let us move on. Okay. And then they go to uh, the first time he ever used magic. 
And he says, this memory is dear to me. Move on. Okay. What about this? What is this? Do you not remember? Of course I remember. I remember everything, but it hardly compares to the other things we've seen. And some guy, he like skinned his knee. Like he, it's doom as a child. Skinned yeah. his knee. Some guy picks him up and walks him to his father. Hmm. Uh, he's like, fine, you can have this memory. I, I want to forget this weakness, this pathetic creature. <laughs> it is not me. It is. It has no value. It serves no purpose. It says it very well. My master accepts. He will take the memory of the first time a stranger showed you kindness. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't. There's no reason. There's no way that'll go wrong. Yeah. The man was called Jan. He carried you for two hours. His body ached for days. But when he saw your father's relief, it was all worth it. Who? What are you talking about? Good luck, Doom. <laughs> you may <laughs> enter the temple. My master awaits. Turns out the master is Baron Mordo. And okay. Baron Mordo is protected from all magics by this like red spell around him. And Doom's been trying and he's been losing. And then he realizes who was at the front of the gate. And he recognizes her as Agatha Harkness. And so he had told her, he leaned over and said, you are Agatha. And then that was enough to get her to start remembering who she was and then what she's doing. And that thing, that scarf that she was knitting was the, the magical protection that was giving uh, Mordo all of that excess defense so she stopped which means he loses his protection so he dies to doom and then as agatha starts to walk away she whispers her thanks into the mind into her into the wind and then a quote comes back you owe me agatha harkness as he whispers back and then so he kills mordo and then the girl at the beginning that was chaperoning him comes and greets him just like and he says sophia is that you yes lord doom i am most grateful for your liberation tell me what brought you to this place come here in search of my father he has not been seen in decades of course uh i thought maybe you came here the same for the same thing i did never the dead man on the floor is but the the last in the long line of people who found their demise in the pages of that book he grabs the dark hold and he says mortal was weak they were all weak i am not that is what they say. I'll say Lord Doom. But anyway, point is, Sophia, her name is Sophia Strange. And uh, okay. so she turns out to be Doctor Strange's daughter. Doctor Strange, I believe, died back. Sure. Everyone fucking fell. died. Yeah. Exactly. And she says, what about the Darkhold? What are you going to do with it? He just says, rule, as he leaves. Okay. So Doom has the Darkhold. Uh-huh. So then enter Old Man Quill, and then enter Avengers of the Badlands. Okay. Uh, the last issue is Black Widow, and in Old Man Logan, it showed that Natasha died, and but there have been rumors in the Badlands of oh. Black Widow still marking around. Okay. So anyway, ends up being that Natasha left behind Yelena Belova, and sure, so Yelena takes up the yeah. Black Widow mantle. Who didn't see that coming? I know, right? So, <laughs> So she goes around, she meets a guy who's being named scientist. He has some sort of secret. They fell in love together. He gets kidnapped by the lizard gang. Uh, so she goes into Florida to fight the lizard to go and bring him back. And when she gets to him, turns out the lizard had ate his legs. So he oh. cannot get out. And he's like, I didn't talk. I swear I didn't talk. And she says, I know, but you will. Everyone does sooner or later. So she kills him and leaves. Okay. That's just her story. <laughs> that's, so that's hardcore. <laughs> right. And 
of the five issues, she's the only one who one didn't have a story before. Yeah. Like in our world chronologically. Right. It hasn't <laughs> and, been published already. Yes. Yeah. And two, everyone else has died. Oh. Since their books. So interesting. I wonder if they wanted to set it up to maybe do an old man widow or old lady, old woman lady <laughs> widow down the I line. Like your, I like your version better. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. But it was interesting. I just, I really liked it because it, with just this five issue series, cemented that all those other books that they just randomly made are all in the same, like, are all world. connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I cool. appreciated that. Nice. <laughs> Gosh, okay. Devil's Reign. Devil's Reign. Let's do this. So what starts it? So Devil's Reign. Okay. At the end of the last Zdarsky book. So this is building off of, this is a big Marvel event, but it's building off of Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil run, which which we've been covering in this pod about since the pod started, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, The first time I covered a Zdarsky book, I think it was volume four. Four? Okay. So the, the run predates our pod. Barely, but yes. Barely, yeah. And that was when I was catching up. So mm-hmm. like we've gone over the last, like you and I have reviewed about four years worth of comics, <laughs> maybe three years worth of comics in the last year and a half. Yeah. Somehow I've only gotten through, well, I've gotten through about three years on my yeah. own reading and I did Nomon in between. Yes. Also that. <laughs> But yeah, so Devil's Reign. So okay, if you will remember, flashback. <laughs> uh-huh. Kingpin and, and Typhoid Mary got married, right? And right. then they go on their honeymoon. And they go so to a honeymoon gross. on Wino to one of Wilson's cabins. And in that cabin, he has some files. And in one of those files, it says Daredevil's identity. And he oh. opens it and it's blank. And uh, he is very angry. Because Kilgrave's children, for the last time, <laughs> the last time Daredevil's identity went out, Daredevil's yeah. children did him a solid after he saved them. Yeah. Made the world forget sure. that he's Daredevil. Yeah. And so all of the writing of, and newspaper articles either are blank or memory is fuzzy now, yada, yada, yada. Sure. So Kingpin finds out that he used to know who Daredevil was, but he no longer does. Ah, uh, okay. This will not stand. <laughs> and that singularly... Sure. This one thing... <laughs> <laughs> this one weird trick. Is what starts the entire story of Devil's Reign. Doctors hate it. Kingpin is pissed that he found out that his memory has been tampered with yeah. and that Daredevil has stolen the knowledge of his identity from him. Uh, okay, cool. This is this is a very Wilson Fisk motivation. Yeah. So he's like, well, F this. So he comes back and he brings all of his files with him. And it starts with, well, okay, it really starts with a conversation between the uh, Stormwinds talking about what they're going to do with Fisk. And it ends with them asking themselves, is there a more interesting game to play with the storm with Kingpin? We'll see. So anyway, and then it starts with Fisk confronting Daredevil. And he's like, and he basically says, I have files. I keep files on everyone that 
is either of interest to me or is a potential hindrance to me. Yeah. And so think of it as like his own personal Marvel wiki. <laughs> basically. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, the gloves are off. Daredevil, you've stolen from me. I will have it back. Cool. So it's on. So he starts giving and selling out his files to interested parties. Huh. We saw this happen with Craven and Electra. Oh. In the last 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 week or two weeks ago, the Daredevil woman without fear right. covering Electra and she gets chased after Craven because Craven bought her file because gotcha. he thinks that she would be a fun hunt. Right. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then we also met Akka, which is Red, who's the girl that trained Electra after she trained the stick. But sure. So far, uh, th- that may be explored in the Electra book, but it's not used here. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, conceptually, we've seen it happen where he's given a file out. Yeah. And then in his desire to get rid or just to screw with Daredevil, <laughs> he introduces, as mayor of New York, he introduces the Powers Act. Okay. And it basically makes it illegal to use superpowers, mm. for lack of a better phrase. And here in New York, we here in New York City feel that that isn't enough. Over the last few weeks, I've been working with lawmakers to draft the Powers Act. Recently, our friends at the federal level wisely outlawed sanctioned superhero activity for those under 21 years of age. To those of you out there with, with such abilities, I say this to you. Effective immediately, any individual who exhibits a use of powers deemed superhuman or commits acts of destructive vigilantism will be charged as a threat. You are not better than us, not better than the hardworking people of the city, not better than the fine men and women who fight our fires, who police our streets, who mend our sick. You wish to help society? Be part of it, not above it. Hmm. That's his speech to the public, sure. introducing the Powers Act. So now, you know, the world is going wild or New York is going wild. Yeah. There's an interview with Tony Stark. It's like, and he says, you know, we've been down this road before superheroes serve a purpose and have saved not only New Yorkers, but the world many times over. This is a desperate move from a gangster mayor in an election year. And that's how we find out that this is also an election year. Uh And so this is, this could be Fisk's big play to make sure that one, he runs unopposed anyway, but two, that he gets the numbers. Sure. This could also be his undoing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. He seems to be a, a pretty broadly popular mayor. He is. Far. And all because of another crossover event, yes. which was uh, Secret Empire. When when he kept the lights on. Yes. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, New York City was completely blacked out by the Dark Force, a Dark Force bubble. And Fisk went around saving people. And he was like, you remember who did this? And then, lo and behold, he becomes the mayor. So, yep. he also has a Thunderbolts program. Okay. Sure. So, it consists of two, basically, two camps. One, you have the villains who have a Thunderbolts badge who work with impunity. Okay. And as long as they are fighting and gathering up superheroes uh, or superpowered people, they, they are, are in the right. Okay. They're absolutely exempt. As long as they have their thunderbolts badge okay and then the other group 
are Thunderbolts like officers, basically riot police officers. They all either they all have heavy armor, heavy duty weapons, and giant riot shields. The shields have a giant lightning bolt on them, so you know that they're Thunderbolt. Sure. There's an interview with Storm, and she's like, Kirko has no interest in this. As long as, <laughs> as, long as mutants have diplomatic immunity uh, from the international community, uh-huh. as long as you guys don't mess with, with our mutants, we won't mess with you. <laughs> Just like, okay. Yep. Moon Knight is the first to be attacked. And <laughs> that's, what brought, that's what brought me to my first question that I brought to you and the ethics fellows. Yeah. If it's called the Powers Act, and it's using superpowers is what's deemed illegal. Right. Are people like, okay, we don't know that Daredevil has super, super senses. So like, right. That's not, are people like Daredevil public knowledge? Yeah. Daredevil, Moon Knight, Hawkeye, Black Widow. Are they considered illegals? I mean, you could even go so far as somebody like Captain America, right? Where it's like, he just does everything that you could do just a little bit better. Oh, well, I mean, he can take a punch from a Hulk, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like, so I would argue that Steve Rogers is a no-go. Yeah. But could you argue, to your point, uh, Tony Stark? Right. Is tech, is tech a superpower? Right. is wearing, In the DC universe, yeah. money is a superpower. That's what they always argue for Batman. So I mean, <laughs> there's a difference between fun- like legally and functionally, right? Right. <laughs> so, and, and that's kind of like, that's where I feel like is the giant hole in this like law. Yeah. At least with Kamala's law, anyone under 21, done, boom, blanket statement. <laughs> and, and it's about an action that you take rather mm-hmm. than like, you know, yeah. Basically. Superhero Registration Act was about anyone who wants to be a superhero can do it as long as they do it sanctioned. Right. Like Quicksilver, for example, is is he just going to be like throttled at Usain Bolt running speed? <laughs> it, or but 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 it goes beyond that cuz it's like well, everything else he does is at super speed too. Like his reflexes, right. his vision, his uh, metabolism, his speech his, sometimes his yeah. yeah, everything. And so, like, it's not always entirely a voluntary thing to, you know, use powers speed. that are yeah the, the within your biology, within your body, right? Like this is this is regulating bodies more than regulating behaviors. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's a flawed law. Yeah, I mean. It's a bad course, law in I mean, general, King, but <laughs> Kingpin did it and blah, 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 blah. blah right. So sure. Yeah. But yeah, I, 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 I feel like there's too many holes and there's a part of me that wants it to continue on so that a Matt Murdoch or a Jennifer Walters can go and contest this law. Sure. But we'll see. Yeah. Anyway, Moon Knight gets attacked. He beats the Thunderbolt soldiers and then Rhino fades U.S. agent and Electro show up and thoroughly trounce him, and they win. Miles Morales is seen saving a girl from a burning building. Firefighters say, thanks, but you might want to get out of here. They were like, under normal circumstances, I'd ask you to stay so we can check out, like, make sure you don't have any, like, lung damage from the smoke inhalation. But, like, 
the thunderbolts are here you should get out thunderbolts use little t- tasers to try to get to try to take them out captain america shows up and is like no <laughs> <laughs> and then thunderbolts are like well actually captain you're under arrest too in accordance with the powers act <laughs> and he's like i know you're just doing your job but he just saved lives he's a criminal you're all criminals okay and then mile or the thunderbolts are about to remove miles's mask and he's like no 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 my family you can't and then that's when they get hit by a flying shield (laughs) (laughs) and then ben riley spider-man shows up so for mentally placing where devil's reign happens this is during beyond spider-man okay which is weird strictly because beyond spider-man has like all of that rocks on tech like in and he's like being tracked all the time but Roxon is not a player in this story. So it's kind of like, okay, buddy. But whatever. <laughs> it's not, it's honestly not a big deal. Uh, ben Riley, Spider-Man, Daredevil, and Elektra show up and uh, save Cap and Miles. They go into the, they go to sewers to find, to regroup. Lawyers show up at the Baxter building. Mm. And sorry, not lawyers. Well, lawyers and Homeland Security. And they have, they say, we have reason to believe that the Baxter building is harboring weapons of mass destruction, and we've secured permission to investigate and secure anything we find. And Reed and Sue are like, you guys are being ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> so no. And then Doc Ock shows up and oh. throws, throws some power inhibitor collars on both of them. And he's like, well, we have this uh, search warrant, so we're just going to go and do this. Thanks. <laughs> anyway, Doom is... Or sorry, Doc Ock is motivated because he found out about the Forever Gate. So this takes uh, place before the Reckoning War. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> as far as figuring out when all these things are happening, I love yes. this stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, Sue breaks away real quick, gets on a speaker and tells Ben and Johnny, code X7, code X7. They're like, oh, dear. The, the, we got to go. So they grab, they grab the kids and they get out. But Sue and Reed are power dampened and they get taken away. Okay. Then you have Jessica Jones and Luke trying to just do their own thing and be their own thing. And then Shocker, it shows we see Shocker taking out Darkhawk, which is wild. Huh. And he's got Darkhawk in chains. Darkhawk is never an actual player. He's just always in the background. So sure. <laughs> he gets he he gets chained up here and then he shows up in the future in the background and that's it. So add to the Marvel wiki. Darkhawk has been seen in the background of Devil's Reign issue 5 and all that other stuff. Anyway, so Luke and Jessica fight uh Shocker and the Thunderbolt agents, cameras all around. Uh Luke takes this moment to give a little motivational speech because that's how he rolls uh says wilson fisk is a gangster and a fool big man who's small who needs to show the power uh, show his power over me my friends and you this isn't just about superheroes it's about a man with his grip on all of us he makes it sound uh like if he loosens it you'll just get in trouble the kind of trouble that shows him that it's actually you who has the power Look, I'm not Captain America. I'm not Mr. Fantastic. I'm just a New Yorker like you. And if someone's in trouble, I do what New Yorkers do. I help. If Mayor Fisk wants to stop me, he can come and try. So that's basically 
the, okay. the setup. Like, sure. as all this shit hitting the fan. Yeah, um, yeah. And basically the major players. Cool. The last piece is Doc Ock is working with Fisk because... So Fisk hires Doc Ock to help capture and control Zebediah Kilgrave. Okay. Interesting. And his payment is to let Doc Ock basically take what he wants from Reed's lab. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What he wants being the forever gate. Sure. So so that's the first issue. (laughs) Oh, my God. Right. right. So that's like all the like pieces. And then as far as where they all go. Oh, Danny Rand got involved. And then so everyone, all the Avengers are kind of doing their thing. Taskmaster is given Spider-Man's file and it doesn't have the name Peter Parker in it, but there are notes that say he's probably an employee at the Daily Bugle because he goes there so damn often. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Taskmaster goes there, Ben Riley shows up and they have a fight. Reed and Sue legitimately hold their own in prison. Like, nice. They can fight. Sue had a past life of a secret agent, which is weird. But That is weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, sure, maybe Sue. But, like, Reed? <laughs> I guess he's been doing this for long enough. And, like, yeah, he has powers, but he has powers using his body. So. Right. <laughs> so, anyway, th- there's just, like, a scene of them and ensuing a riot just because why not? But uh, Fisk removes a finger from Kilgrave and puts it in a gem. And for whatever reason, so Kilgrave is being held in this giant gem. And then his finger is in a little gem that he put on a stick, a walking stick, a cane. And through that, the device that Doc Ock made it allows Kingpin to use Kilgrave's powers. Sure. All right. Why not? Yeah. So now Fisk can control minds, can Great. control impulses. What, however, Kilgrave's power could possibly works. go. Yeah. Power yeah, suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Avengers Underground are like, "Hey, so Tony's like, okay, we can't just go and like kill or fight <laughs> the mayor of New York City." We got we to gotta fight this legally. Yeah. And Tony is like, I guess I'm running for mayor. Oh. Because he's currently running unopposed. So let, let's yeah. give him someone to oppose. And the rest of them are all talking and they're like, hey, so I like your plan, <laughs> but <laughs> I think Luke Cage should run. Nice. So Hell Luke yeah. is like, yeah, I guess it's me. So Hell yeah, Tony, Luke. So Tony is spurned and and he's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, sure. I I, I guess I get it. <laughs> You'll have I'll make sure you have all the money you need for your campaign. It's like, yeah. Oh my god, wait. Holy shit. Black mayor ex-cop. He's he's Eric Adams. No, he's he, Luke Cage is so much cooler. He's not an ex-cop. I thought he was also an ex-cop. He was. An, he's an ex-Thunderbolt. <laughs> so close he's gotten to being a cop. He was. He was an ex-cop in the show. Okay. Yes, in the show. Okay. But it was just ex-con. Okay. Yeah. 
in the comments. Yeah, that's way man, Eric Adams sucks. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> Continue. Comics, fights, yada yada yada. And then we see why Doc Ock cared about the Forever Gate. He pulls three more beings from anywhere in the multiverse. And you just see a Hulk with extra like Hulky arms. You see a Wolverine <laughs> with some like Doc Ock tent claws. And yeah. you see a Ghost Rider with chains popping out of his back. Sure, why not? And he's like, this is superior. So anyway, there is a side book for this called Superior Four. Oh, but- great. <laughs> <laughs> so Doc Ock in the past has taken over Spider-Man. He called himself the Superior Spider-Man. He's the Superior Spider-Man. Yeah. So this Wolverine, Hulk, and Ghost Rider are autos from their dimensions. Oh! They've taken over those minds. That's why they all have extra shit coming, uh, extra yeah. or shit coming out of their backs. Yeah, I get it. How okay. wild is that? So we have four autos now, <laughs> and but yeah, we find that out in like issue four. He's just like, listen, sure. you're all you're all autos from your respective dimensions who decided to take over the minds of your respective villains, <laughs> your 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 respective like antagonists. I get it, but. We're here. Let's let's do this. So <laughs> that was wild. So Great. I'm really excited to read that book next week. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Ben Riley gets captured, given an inhibitor collar. He gets broken out by Johnny and Thing. Kirsten McDuffie and Foggy Nelson mm-hmm. are representing all of the superheroes who have been captured by the Powers Act Thunderbolts so far. And so McDuffie has a meeting with Sue. Sue steals a paperclip from her file, brings it back to Reed. And Reed is like, good thing I helped design these inhibitor collars back <laughs> in the Civil War days. And uh-huh. so <laughs> he's able to unlock his inhibitor collar and get, and everyone gets out and they have a superhero butt breakout. Oh, and then Zebediah. Oh, Zebediah, when he's captured by Fisk, is like, there's something fuzzy in the back of your mind, right? And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I used to know Daredevil's identity also, but I oh. know this, I know this feeling is familiar. It's, it's definitely, it's my power, but it wasn't me. It's <laughs> diluted. I think this is my children. Okay. So this is like, excuse me. <laughs> so Fisk's attention has now changed and now he wants to go and get the children Sure, because right now with just Kilgrave's power, he's able to influence the motion of New York to where they are willing to believe in Fisk's message. Mm. But if he gets the children also, sure. Then he'll be able to just tell them to vote for him. (laughs) Great. Basically. And then, so they're just like, Oh God, we need to go on that. The heroes in their hideout feel the effects of they, they feel themselves starting to like believe in Fisk. And Jessica's like, mm. I get this. I get what's happening. Yeah. This is this is purple man. We gotta do something. And sure. and Daredevil's like, oh, his children. And so now the focus has become Zebediah. Uh he has five purple children. Okay. Um, they're all brother and sister. Yeah. And different mothers, mm-hmm. but they have since found each other and they all are together. Anyway, is, is uh, Kara one of them? Kara Kilgrave? Yeah, the ex no. Alpha Flight. 
Oh no, purple girl. Okay, they're all they're all like. I know that they're they're a separate. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're they're not they're not Karen. That that is a great throwback because I I remember when we talked about her. Yeah, but yeah, the Superior Four find the Avengers in their hideout. They're attacking Iron Man. Says, stay away. I did what you asked, and you're like, what? But then, and so we're thinking that maybe Tony was supposed to do the whole mayor thing and then give it to oh auto okay but then literally two pages later we find out that tony is actually chameleon oh yeah okay and we find out that tony is actually in jail with everyone else oh gosh and then what's his face doc ock shows his the next step of his plan is basically the city's going to go into lockdown and all of and it's going to be completely controlled, p- patrolled by um, flying Octobots. <laughs> and anyone seen breaking the law is going to get attacked basically immediately. While that's happening, we find out that... for Okay, well, Foggy is not backing down, so he gets attacked with a crowbar. But I think he survives. Okay, jeez. Yeah. Daredevil goes to meet with him and then Matt, uh, Mike Murdoch goes in because publicly he's pretending to be Matt Murdoch. Right. And he goes to meet with Foggy to keep up appearances. They cross paths, they fight, or they like argue. And then Fisk and Mary are having a little talk. Okay. And Mary doesn't remember the first time they met. Because this happened before all the fracturing of her memories. Oh, okay. Stuff put together, yada, yada. Sorry, the first time they kissed, I think. Hmm. Da, 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 da. Years of treatments and trauma have robbed me so much, but I still hold on to the feeling. Because Wilson's basically saying, like, the thought of you is the only thing keeping me sane right now. Yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I wish you could remember. But when he says it, his speech turns purple. So... Oh, the Kilgrave children and Zebediah now apparently I don't know when this happened, but they have well, they have power to control when they control you. Oh, okay. Basically, when they make a command, their their speech turns purple. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's an upgrade. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know if that's just for our benefit and it's always on. Right. But like. And so, like, we, when it's purple, that's when we know shit's going down. Right. Because, like, you can't do that with a Netflix show. Right. Because we don't see speech. So, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, Mary takes a step back and she's like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And Fisk is like, I'm so sorry. It's, it's It's the cane. I'm so sorry. And she's like, no, I, I remember. What a gift. And she's like, I that's insane. I didn't I didn't know you could do that. And he's like, Yeah, neither did I. And so he immediately goes up to the roof in the rain and he just looks at himself and he says, Remember. And then issue four of six ends with him just looking it's just amazing giant yeah. flash page of him being real angry in the rain, and he just says, Matt Murdock. There we go. So, yeah, he used it on himself, and he now remembers he's Matt Murdock. And he's like, okay. So <laughs> now he's now now. Oh boy. Yeah. So 
royal piss. Next issue, yeah. Next issue, the Thunderbolts are sent to go and pick up the children, the Kilgrave children, Jessica, and the champions go and fight the Thunderbolts to save the children. They're only able to save the oldest child, and they go, and then Fisk sends. Well, sorry, not sends. Fisk himself goes to Matt's apartment and is going to go and confront Matt over being Daredevil and what he's stolen from him. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, the four kids that they were able to take get thrown into the same machine that Kilgrave is in, and Fisk is able to use that increase in power to actually control New York. And so now it's like Bedlam. And while that is happening, including, oh, sorry, he lets out Kilgrave gets let out also. Sure. And so Kilgrave is is controlling the masses and they're all uh, he sends civilians to go and fight the superheroes. The superheroes have devised like psychic dampeners to make it so they don't fall under Kilgrave's influence. Doesn't matter. Mike goes, oh god, Butch (laughs) Butch wants to become the new kingpin. Okay. Butch is Fisk's, Fisk's son. Fisk's kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And he and Mike are childhood friends. As, as things start to get out of hand, Mike is like, listen, I'm not real. And Butch is like, what the hell are you talking about? He's like, it's a long story, but like these things called the Nornstones were involved. I think I can use them to set things back. Like, Interesting. So we can't, like, we can use the stones to like get control back of the situations we're involved in. So Mike goes to Matt's apartment to go and get the stone. He, as soon as he holds it, he sees Fisk. Fisk is in Matt's apartment. He doesn't know Mike and Matt are two people. Yep. So he shows up to kill Mike. Well, Matt, but he ends up beating Mike with his bare fists. Jesus. Kirsten McDuffie shows up. I don't know why she's going to his apartment, but she shows up at the door and sees him. And it's like, holy crap, Matt. Yeah. She runs away immediately. That's the end of that issue. And that is what gets teased at the end of Electra or Daredevil Woman of Woman, Woman Without Fear. Got you. Okay. And that's where Electra finds out that. He dies, and she sharpens her side. She's like, I'm going to go kill Wilson. Sure. And then the guy that she's with, who's like an old friend of hers, and Matt's is like, I know that's what you've always been supposed to do. So we don't know what that... So Akka and that storyline, something, something, something down the line. Anyway, Fisk has done the deed. Matt's dead. He's, He's happy. So he's like, all right, Mary, pack up. We're leaving. All I need is you. I have... I have... We're gone. Let's yeah. let's get out of here. As he's driving away, Electra in her devil costume is like, no. And <laughs> she, she tries to kill Fisk. She gets him impaled in the shoulder. And then after that crash, Daredevil finds out, Matt finds out that Mike has been killed. And so Matt shows up and he and Kingpin's like, excuse me, why will you not die? I killed you. What the hell? And Electra's like, oh my gosh, you're alive. And he's like, yeah, but we're here to kill Fisk. Let's do this. So, <laughs> so their climactic battle goes on. Fisk is, let's kind of 
everything out. He's just like, I was happy. I was content. You, you took, and then you had to go and like steal from me. How dare you? And that's kind of the premise of all this. Meanwhile, <laughs> somewhere along the lines, when the Thunderbolts were sent to get the children, Rhino went to the champions and gave them badges because he's like, listen, Miles, Spider-Man, you know me. I'm not this guy. I'm yeah. not going to go and kidnap children. That's ridiculous. Right. Yep. So he's like, Fisk has gone too far. The Octobots are programmed to avoid the Thunderbolt badge. So take these badges, save yourselves, get out of here. Anyway. That was just a plot point for sure. Rhino. I think that's going to show up in the Thunderbolts crossover book. Okay. Anyway, Fisk kind of has the upper hand on Daredevil because Fisk is a very strong man. <laughs> 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 and the fight between Daredevil and Kingpin ends when Daredevil gets a hold of the Kilgrave cane that was in the car. And he uses it. He says, he tells Fisk, step back. He's like, no, 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 no. And he says, I want you to suffer for all of your sins. I want you to think about all the lies you've destroyed. Damn. And then he gets this like wave of guilt. And then he goes, done. So <laughs> Fisk in the past has proven to be immune to Kilgrave's yeah. powers. He did it earlier in the book. And Kilgrave tried to say, kill yourself. And he's like, my will is too strong for <laughs> you, buddy. So the fact that it worked at all is already a miracle. And so he's like, all right, done. <laughs> yeah. So now, uh, so Matt's like, oh my gosh, he's pure evil. He has to die. Mm -hmm. And then Kilgrave with his power upgrade from the four children uh, comes across the last child, which who's the oldest. And okay. he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you child and child is like, no, I'm going to stop you. Yada, yada. Luke gets jumps in and gives him his psychic dampener. And then Kilgrave was like, Oh, you're an idiot. Gage kill my son. And then the son is like, no, 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 no. I'm going to stop you. They they're, they're doing their best to stop each other with their powers. Meanwhile, daredevil is now has the upper hand on Fisk and he is punching the shit out of him. It ends with, Luke overcoming Kilgrave's power and just putting his shoulders on his son, uh, just being like, you're not alone. You can do this. And so the son gets a power, like a confidence power boost. And he just yells out, stop. And he stops the wave. Electra talks Matt down from actually killing Kingpin. And then let's see somebody knocked out Kilgrave. I don't think it really shows who. But he got knocked out. <laughs> okay. The four brothers and sisters show up and they've all been depowered. So just the oldest, his name is Joe, has Kilgrave's power still. So he's, he has uh, purple skin still. The others are normal skinned. Fisk is getting taken away by Thunderbolt agents. One of them takes off his mask and turns out to be Butch. And he's like, all right, yeah, we're almost there. And he takes them mm. to the Stormwinds. Okay. And the Stormwinds are like... So, yeah, so this is our situation. We're going to get rid of all this nonsense that happened in New York. We're going to put you in the White House. And we're going to have President Fisk. And in return, Butch is going to have free reign on New York as Kingpin. That's it. 
All right. <laughs> and Fisk is like, huh. He doesn't say a whole lot. And then they go to shake on it. They start to shake. And then Kingpin breaks the guy, the brother's hand. Okay. Takes out all the guards and shoots the storm winds. And well, the sister got shot in the shoulder. I don't think she's actually dead, but they all got beat to a bloody pulp. And that is Fisk's answer. Okay. And because he wants to show Butch would, uh, that a Fisk does not bow to anybody. Okay. Basically, he says, um, I wasn't there for you. I can't change that, but I can be there for you now. Tell them all in whispers through the streets. You killed me. I attacked the city. I murdered Matt Murdock, and you rose up. You took what was yours, the crown. After all these years, this is my gift to you, boy, your inheritance. A story for a king. A story to make a kingpin. So he's going to go and spirit himself away, basically. He's like, let the world think Fisk is dead. And a week after that, Elektra is like, all right, we want to do Daredevil because Daredevil Matt is still alive, but Matt Murdock publicly is dead. So he's like, you know, it's time. Let's go and make the fist to go and take out the hand. So okay, right. that plot line is now becoming a thing. Sure. Down the line. We'll see. And then Wesley bids a, a sorrowful farewell to to Fisk and Mary, they get on a boat and sail to wherever the, the wind takes them. And then as far as other aftermaths, at the funeral of Matt Murdock, heroes gather and other big names gather. Butch and Happy have a talk outside to be like, you knew, huh? And he's like, yeah, this is ridiculous. Like, this is, yeah. this is my best friend, Mike. He needs to have a proper recognition and not under this farce of Matt Murdock. This is ridiculous. And he's like, I'm sorry. This is the best we can do. I'm sorry. And he says, tell me, Mike was pretending to be Matt as a favor because the golden boy was in rehab out of town. So why isn't he here now? And why can't my men find him? This whole thing stinks. It'll keep the, I'll keep this quiet. Cause if Matt Murdock set up, set Mike up, I'm going to find him. And what my father did to Mike is going to look like a scraped knee compared to what I'm going to do to him. <laughs> and then he drives off with his uh, entourage. You're like, oh, God. And then so other hero, the other heroes know that Matt is Daredevil. And so they go meet with Daredevil. And they're like, come on, man. Like, we put on, we put on the play. Like, yeah. what, what is such a big deal? And he's like, listen, I'm going to go save the world. <laughs> so with this hand hand fist thing so you know sorry but that you don't need a daredevil right now daredevil's gone matt's gone sure i'm out and he's like oh hey actually sorry to cut this intervention short there's a bank robbery going on about two blocks from here you uh want to go deal with that so they go deal with it real quick and just kind of have their little moment with kingpin quote-unquote dead luke cage has is ran unopposed and luke cage is the mayor of new york city sweet so that's a thing all right here we joe, go joe other other takeaways joe the last powered kilgrave kid gets adopted by jessica jones oh okay interesting uh-huh. setup for future stories there uh-huh so we have joe and and danny are now the children of luke and jessica Mm-hmm. At the burial of Mike Murdoch, Kirsten thinking it's Matt, 
who she is in love with, goes and says, hey, when I was there, you were clutching this. It seemed kind of important. Um, It's very pretty. It seems alive. It's kind of cool. Here you go. And so she puts the Norn stone on his chest as they bury his casket. Oh. So see where that goes. Okay. Luke at night recruits Photon Spectrum, Monica Rambeau, to go and take out a Thunderbolts base because the Thunderbolts don't believe in, in Cage and they are just, they've turned into a bunch of bullies and uh, sure. this is ridiculous. Sure. So publicly, they need to change the mindset of the Thunderbolts. So after they take out this little base, PR stunt happens and they recruit Monica Rambeau to be the leader of the Thunderbolts. Interesting. Which okay. she immediately declines. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Luke is like, ah, damn, we came on too strong. All right, who else do we got? Well, let's see. There's... We already checked with Sam Wilson, Dane Whitman, Barbara Morris, and Janet Van Dyne. They're all no-goes. What about Clint Barton? I feel like he's Having done this been, before. He's been a member of the Thunderbolts before, and he was okay. the leader of the West Coast Avengers. Okay. He took on... So right after Zemo left the Thunderbolts, he took over, and because some of the villains pretending to be heroes decided that they actually liked being a hero. Right. And so he brought them on it was just like let's actually be heroes then yeah. let's do this he ends up having a thing with moonstone carla sofen oh, that's okay. a whole weird thing that is a weird thing but uh it ended up not working out the thunderbolts thing and i yeah. guess carla but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so yeah he has history with the thunderbolts and cage can't can't cage had the most public face of being the leader of the Thunderbolts. That's right. Back when they were actually prisoners on the raft yeah. that he would draft to go and do these missions. But as mayor, he doesn't have time to do that. So they're going to reach out to Clint. Oh, we get Luke's first public address, basically saying, good morning, please be seated. Before we get to the questions, I want to address some of the elephants in the room. I know many of you doubt my ability to govern the city. Some may point to my checkered history as a team delinquent. Others may look to my work as what many in the media refer to as a vigilante. Whichever side you fall on this, I I say it doesn't matter what you think. I'm going to work my ass off and alongside the citizens and lawmakers of New York, fix the city that I love with all of my heart. I will be fair. I will be objective. But right now, my focus is restoring order and bringing safety to our streets. Folks are afraid, and I'm going to ease those fears with action. That said, any questions? So, yeah. So, he is really leaning into being the mayor. Matt Murdock publicly is dead, and Daredevil is off with Elektra to go do this fist thing. Interesting. Which I have no idea what it's going to (laughs) be. Yeah. I believe the the Superior Four are still a thing. Oh, right. God, I almost forgotten about them. (laughs) Right? They got beat. But they did not get sent away, <laughs> like okay. back to their dimensions. Right. So, uh, also in Reckoning War, the Forever Gate gets destroyed. So, they may just be here for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, we may have four different versions of Otto Octavius in four different bodies rolling sure. around 616. <laughs> Good Lord. Too many autos. Publicly, Kingpin is dead. Typhoid Mary is off with her loved one, Kingpin, out on the seas. Luke Cage is the mayor of New York City now. 
and Butch is the kingpin. All right. That's uh, that's a hell of a status quo shakeup. Right. Oh, and Kilgrave uh, Offspring is now the adopted son of Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. Did you enjoy the story? Did you have a good time? Yeah, it was pretty wild. Cool. I I love when these crossover events are are like street level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we yeah. haven't had one in a while. Mm-hmm. I honestly kind of feel like the last one was Shadowlands, and that was also a Daredevil story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Because like even the Spider-Man big events like ends of the earth and spider island feel bigger i think because there's monsters involved in mutation sure of course yeah uh so when you have just like a person level story it's it's just it's fun to know that you can still tell a good story like that totally awesome yeah it was good it was good times yeah so next week the side stories i'm really looking forward to cool yeah we'll talk about what those are in a little bit Always let's, wanted, uh, let's talk. Yeah. Let's talk astonishing and, and all this other stuff. Oh, do we have to talk astonishing? Well, I mean, give me. I did read me, it. Give me a five minute breakdown. <laughs> if you don't want to talk about. It. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. So this follows directly off of uh, the X Men story that I read last week. The shattering. Ah, the, yes. The the shatting the the shat my pantsing. <laughs> Where the yeah the the whole X Men team shot themselves. Uh, Xavier, <laughs> yeah, Xavier was Before like disassembled. Right, basically told everybody on the team to take a hike, and brought in Scott and Gene, uh, or specifically Gene. Actually, he was like, "Whatever, Scott. Whatever. I have no use for you right now. I need another telepath in the house for whatever reason." Told all the the whole team to go, and then. Nina from the Manites showed up psychically to Jean and was like, we need help. You probably don't remember Nina. She was in the cell. She was in the sort of Operation Zero Tolerance Hulkbuster base with Charles Xavier after he got detained after Onslaught. Okay. So they met there. They became buddies. Nina has crazy powers. We don't to this point know her origin how she came by them what her deal is at all but she was targeted during the whole like search for xavier plot where cerebro went evil and hunted made the whole like fake x-men team of amalgamations of different powers and personalities went after xavier she was involved in that whole thing anyway so yeah, she she appears to them uh, to Scott and Jean, and Scott and Jean are like, "Well, I guess we need a new team." <laughs> so yeah, Jean puts the psychic call out to Archangel, Cable, and X Ban. Why those three people? Never discussed. I mean, with the exception of Archangel, it's like, well, let me let me family, <laughs> right? Exactly, <laughs> quote unquote family, <laughs> right? Oh, and Wolverine's there too. Okay, well, Wolverine, lovers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically family. In 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 the polycule or... Oh, man, the Summer's House. I know. So strange. So strange. Okay, sorry. It, Real random yeah, pause let's, let's on that. For yeah. I think that was... I feel like that was a missed opportunity to, like, regular eyes poly, a polycule. I think they're operating... They they have to operate in subtext the way they did with like queer themes back in the back in the eighties 
you know, like, yeah. oh, Destiny and, and Mystique are just friends. Right. You I mean, know? like, yeah, with Sailor Moon, Sailor Uranus and Sailor yeah, Neptune yeah. were cousins when right. they got moved to America. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And, yeah. It, yeah, it was just, just kind of a side thought because, like, just honestly, for me, in the last few years, I've come across way more poly, I guess, yeah, polycules. People who are polyamorous. Poly, yes, polyamorous okay. is the word I've been looking for this entire yeah. time. But <laughs> way more poly, polyamorous groups. <laughs> Relationships, yeah. Relationships than like I ever have in my entire life. And I, I feel like there's a, an aspect of society that is becoming more and more openly accepting of a polyamorous lifestyle. And so so, like this could have been an opportunity to like show or explore that a little more, even if it was just like a single summer's house run of like six or eight issues to just kind of explore that. I, I don't think Marvel would publish that. I think it's becoming more mainstream, more acceptable, but I think it's still pretty taboo. Yeah, And I think it's, you know, I hate to be like, oh, we should be happy with the baby steps or whatever. But like, I I do like those X-Men stories in the 80s were, even if they were subtext, they were immensely important and influential to a lot of people who read them back in the day. So yeah, I really think this is the most That that, that the most that Disney would publish at this point in time. Yeah. Okay. I, I I fully agree. Yeah. But uh, I, I guess no, in I'm, retrospect, I'm with you. I'm if we, with if you. we come across love, this, I would love to see maybe like 20 years from now they'll have. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say 15. They'll, they'll have <laughs> like they'll if have, we go back and look at this, like oh, can you imagine? No, they'll, oh, they'll man, have, they really they'll have uh, Jonathan Hickman write an X Men legacy <laughs> that really gets into you know the the whole like sexual politics of the triad and how they spend their time and, and all of the like, you know, difficult emotional maintenance relationships that happen. Like, is there a primary partnership and you're a secondary? Is there, is this a full triad here? What's going on? So it's also like Krakoa was presented as this like ascended society where like, Everything's Ev- accepted. And everybody fucks on Krakoa. They just have Clearly. massive orgies. Yeah. It's it's the Zion of Marvel. <laughs> but like but like it's just it's presented as this like next step in humanity, both societally and mutagenically or whatever. But like yeah. that was just another aspect of a quote unquote heightened society that this was openly like accepted yeah. like, even to the point where logan and cyclops's rooms were on either side of Jean's room and they both had a door yes <laughs> to her room totally. yeah <laughs> but yeah but yeah i guess yeah to your point that's the best we could even ask for right now right I, now that's, yeah. i get that and, and it's it's there everybody who's yeah. reading it knows it but they just stupid conservative publishing yeah world I hear you. Won't, okay won't. i wonder if he got pulled, rolled back on that if he had to roll back on that yeah it it's i bet there's a i would love to be a fly on the wall for those meetings yeah that would be very interesting, interesting. oh man 
<laughs> Maybe he'll tweet back at me if I ask him. Oh, he hate he no. Damn it. Famously will not talk about intention behind the scenes, oh, anything about yeah. his story, right? Like that checks out. Yeah. Nor honestly, writers probably shouldn't. <laughs> yes, I agree. With <laughs> ah, damn it. All Otherwise right. you end up like who was it? Rick Remender, who when he was being criticized for the whole thing with Alex Summers saying, don't call me a mutant, told everyone on Twitter who disagreed with him to go drink hobo piss or something. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, guy. Damn. Yeah. Right. Not a good look. Anyway. Anyway, apologies. Yeah. Continue. No, any, any distraction from this monstrosity is great. <laughs> so they all show up on the same page. They, they all get the psychic summons in completely different parts of the world. X-Man is, you know, surfboarding in the, uh, down the north face of Mount Everest. And Warren is in some penthouse apartment. They show up on the same panel. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> okay. and, and Cable pops out of the bushes behind them. The panel <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> okay. I was here the whole time. Future. Future knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Christ. And they're like, cool, I guess we're the X-Men now. Let's go fly okay. to... So this, this thing was written by Howard Mackey, who is the writer on Mutant X, and the, <laughs> that last arc of, of X-Factor. Just basically, every, almost... I don't know, it's a real race to the bottom between him and Stephen T. Siegel. I think I hate Howard Mackey more. <laughs> Siegel at least tried. Howard Mackey doesn't. He's, it, mm. he's just, every, every scene, every panel is just like, let's have these characters stand and pose like this and deliver these lines. Okay, next. And it's not, there's no sense of like, Story continuity, movement flow between scenes, character motivations. Like, Warren... So, it's a three-issue series where basically death, the the new horseman of apocalypse. Although, somehow, they don't make the connection until the third issue that this guy who's walking around calling himself death is a horseman of the apocalypse. They're like, no, apocalypse is dead. And Cable, who knows better, doesn't say anything. And and it's just like, so they're they're protecting protecting the manites from death. Death also at the start of it breaks into this complex where the disembodied head of Bastion is being kept, but for some reason doesn't kill Bastion. So the X Men follow him. That you know follow the wreckage. They rescue Bastion's dismembered head. And then they have their confrontation with death and they're like, Oh man, he's so, so strong. Oh, somebody hit the self-destruct button. Okay. Let's all get out of here and run away until the next one. And then they do that like three or four more times and they meet up with all the manites. So yeah, Nina is one of many manites. It turns out they are like, made of nanites essentially they're men ma- they're a man made of nanites 
They're, ah. they're, they're, they're man knights. Never would have saw that coming. I know, right? <laughs> and so they were part of yet another government program to create superpowered beings. They are supposed to be the next stage in evolution after mutants. And so they all, they're all children, but they undergo this, you know, basically puberty process where they, their powers go haywire. They have powers while they're kids, but they, you know, their powers go haywire. Then they go into a cocoon. And then when they come out, their powers are stronger or changed in some way. And so one of the kids is undergoing that. So they have to like stay and fight. And so death tracks them down as far as I can, and just like, you know, beats the show. And they're like, okay, we have to run away. Okay. We, we have to stay and fight. Okay. We have to run away. Okay. We have to stay and fight. And so basically the only reason that Archangel is in this is to be able to deliver one line about like, I used to be the death horseman of apocalypse. I know how it is. I used to be somebody. <laughs> And the only reason X-Man is in this is to be able to deliver one line saying, like, I won't let Apocalypse take, you know, I've, I've seen the world of Apocalypse taking over. I won't let it happen again. Besides that, there's basically nothing unique about their characterization or their use of powers. You could just put, like, a really strong lamp <laughs> in their place. And it's just like, oh, man, the, <laughs> oh, no. I'm being repulsed by all this light. Oh. <laughs> anyway, they finally, after several false starts, they have their final confrontation. And Death kind of, you know, mows through them all, like shrugs off an optic blast, tosses off X-Man, tosses off Archangel, and then goes to fight Wolverine. And just cuts him through the stomach. And Wolverine dies like a chump. Okay. It's just like, you know, he's like, tell me, what do you... Uh, Wolverine says, tell me, what do you see when you look in my eyes? Death says, I see weakness. I see... And then the close-up on Wolverine's eye. And then he says, death. And then there's a close-up on the sword cutting through, like, his outfit. Uh, like, Wolverine, yellow costume, Right. She yeah. says, Wolverine, Logan? No, it can't be. And then you see Wolverine crouched down, holding a wound, no blood, because this is a G-rated comic. And he says, it's a nice shot, bub. Just give me a second to catch my breath and all. And then his eye roll back in his head. He says, sorry, Genie. Sorry. And he's oh. dead. He's, like, I'm not kidding. He's just gone like a chump. Like a fucking chump. There's nothing, like, dramatic or interesting or even, like, ironic about the 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 senselessness of death in battle or heroic or anything going on he's just cut once and he's dead he's just dead immediately now we know because there was a reveal that i wanted to do that you steamrolled <laughs> through a few oh. episodes ago oh right right well people don't remember Okay. Only bingers will remember. Okay, then I won't. I won't spoil it. Okay. <laughs> See, like, completely ignoring my botched reveal. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I feel like so when someone dies, like, okay, in comics now, yes, when someone dies like that, yes, it's it's revealed to be like an illusion 
or a hallucination or a fantasy. Nope. Not real. <laughs> right? That's the thing. Like it, when you when someone's killed off, or even like if you're trying to do a double take, like if somebody dies off like that, they're going to be returned by the end of the issue. Right. It's not even like maybe, maybe next issue cliffhanger, but it yeah. would have to be like it happened on the last page of the, <laughs> of the fight, right? This yeah. is... When it's unceremonious Wolverine, like that. <laughs> Wolverine dies like a chump. The Manite kid finishes change finishes his changing. Everybody gathers their powers together and, you know, efforts at him very hard. There's a bright light and death is like, all right, the children are strong. So for today they are survivors, but this is the only, only the beginning and he leaves and, and they're like, well, wow. Wolverine's dead. Look at that. That's wow. <laughs> oh, I disagree. So that's, um, yeah, that's it. That's the end. That's the end of, of astonishing X-Men. It existed to introduce death and kill Wolverine. And they said, we'll give you, Hey, Howard Mackey, we'll give you three issues to do this. He says, (laughs) I only need four pages, but I guess, (laughs) I guess I'll write another, you know, 75 pages anyway in between. How kind of you. This, I mean, I've read a lot of bad comics for this pod. (laughs) Considering the necessary quality to tell this story well and and what it ended up being that might have been the worst (laughs) considering the table stakes that they're trying to sell here the buy-in that they're trying to create the 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 weight of the story that they're supposedly trying to introduce here Uh and the execution I mean, like, it's not, it's not nearly as <laughs> offensive when Alpha Flight's bad because you don't have any expectations for Alpha Flight, right? Right. Or like, this Mutant is X, the X X-Men bad, but it's in an, Yeah, yeah. This is Wolver fucking Ean. This is your, one of your two biggest characters, most popular characters in your entire publishing company. And you're going to kill him like a fucking chump. <laughs> the audacity. Shameful. <laughs> All right, whatever. I'm done with it. X Men True Friends. Chris Claremont's back. <laughs> this is literally like two years before the movie came out, and Hugh Jackman just blew the world up. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, he was already. I mean, I, I saw some stat that was like Wolverine averaged a guest type, a guest appearance every month for like four years in the nineties. <laughs> Outside of a book where he was already normally appearing, which was like four. Yeah. Like he was everything already in the nineties, even before Hugh Jackman. Oh yeah. Oh, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to really, you know, we're going to really turn some heads. We're, we're going to, we're going to kill off Wolverine like a chump, like a fucking chump. Eternal friends. True friends. True friends. So yeah, Chris Claremont's back. And now this doesn't seem to be a new script from Claremont. It's set in early Excalibur era while he was writing Excalibur. So it was probably an unused script that he'd already done or a story idea that he'd already had, right? So this was not, but it's still a big deal that he's back at the X-Men 
just like writing. And, you know, they brought back Fabian Nicieza recently after he'd been away from X-Men for a while. They brought back Alan Davis. So like several years after I'm guessing Bob Harris left and the editor in chief of the X-Men line and all of these alienated creators were like, okay, I guess we can come back now. But yeah, Chris Claremont is a, he's, he's so good at the things he's good at. And he's so ridiculous at the things he's bad at. So like this whole story starts, you know, with the in medias res thing where Kitty is walking down the, down a street in the Kinross Highlands of Northern Scotland in the middle of the night and a car runs runs her down again she's walking in the middle of the street in the middle of the night and she turns and she screams a car <laughs> okay so there's a lot of like silly staging like from our point of view today as more contemporary comics readers comics don't look like this anymore people don't talk right. like this that greatest most influential writer of x-men history responsible for all of the most famous X-Men stories responsible for the ongoing soap opera nature, the idea that you would seed plot elements so far in advance and work them through, uh, you know, character arcs and plot threads that would span dozens of issues and, and, you know, several years. Just there would be no Jonathan Hickman without Chris Claremont. Absolutely. That said takes a little bit of like getting used to just like the type of things that he becomes obsessed with. He will repeat over and over and over again. And comics are kind of staged in a way much more literary or more like a stage play and less film like, if that makes sense. And character motivations can kind of switch at a drop of a hat. They're kind of more pulpy stock motivations for like oh this is an adventure story so two people have to fall in love right just like oh right things like that will just sort of happen with great intensity and you're just like yeah this is what we're (laughs) what we're in for anyway with that caveat out of the way like i said this is early excalibur era uh, Kitty's got an off day. She goes to a bar dancing and flirting, etc. And then Rachel Summers walks in and she turns all, you know, all the heads of all the men in the bar. And this was a very common dynamic between Kitty and Rachel in those days. Kitty was very jealous of, of Rachel and how her looks, how oblivious she was to the attention that her looks got her. They had a love triangle going on between this guy, Alistair Stewart, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, so all of a sudden, all the men in the bar are ignoring Kitty, and she's like, this sucks, whatever. I'll just go for a walk. And she goes off to the local Stonehenge, just, uh, you know, up the The local Stonehenge. It's just like a big old sort of... ring of of stones right like a old celtic ritual area and she gets there and and then rachel shows up in the full phoenix firebird as if nobody would notice and you know they have an argument and some interaction of their powers goes crazy they have a vision of this all of these like 
druids and this guy in a big horned mask uh, doing performing human sacrifice and they are transported back in time to 1936 but kitty doesn't know that at first she wakes up in a bed apparently she'd been asleep for a while in the manor or the house of a laird alistair kinross now kinross if you remember is Moira McTaggart's maiden name. Maiden name. Yeah. And this guy, Alistair, the lord of the manor, she's about, he's about Kitty's age. And he's, they're also hosting his kid cousin, although she makes, she, uh, the cousin makes note, a very far removed cousin named Lilibet. And so there's a whole sort of like comedy of errors about, you know, Kitty talks funny and she's like, it's because I'm an American. Okay, let me use the phone and call people I know. Huh, I can't get any anybody's numbers. And eventually, it, you know, okay, well, let's go to another nearby, uh, you know, oh, you all dress so retro. That's crazy, right? And then, <laughs> uh, like, let's go to the next castle over and see if we can use their phone. Oh, we're taking, we're riding horses. That's so silly and retro. And then they get there, and everyone at the next castle over is doing uh, Nazi salutes. And <laughs> this uh-huh. is how Kitty slowly pieces it together that she's in 1936. And so, yeah, these these are fascist sympathizers, uh, members of Oswald Mosley's historical British fascist party. The noblewoman at this manor is a fascist sympathizer, and there is some plot to either install her as the... Britain at this point is going through an abdication crisis. Edward the whatever uh, declined the throne, and it's going to... You know, this is the thing that really happened in 1936. So things are a little topsy-turvy to stabilize. There's a plan, you know, in place, but it's odd. And, and you know, the more destabilization at this point, the better for the fascists. They might be able to cause enough crisis within, you know, halls of government and operations that they could make Britain, at the worst, neutral in the coming World War II neutral towards impending Nazi invasion of all of Europe. So behind this plot is Baron von Strucker, obviously Mm. the, you know, the historical Strucker, not, you know, not the ones that we know in the present day and Shadow King. Oh, Amal Farouk is there as their mentalist and necromancer who is helping them out with all of these plots and, you know, broadening his vision for towards world domination he sees you know very willing allies in the nazis in terms of blah 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 the hate and fear of of mankind and and exploiting it etc his usual song and dance routine Mm -hmm. so i'm not really sure how but kitty realizes that rachel must be in this manner somewhere so she goes back to help uh, to find her with the help of alistair and this was the era where Rachel is basically too powerful for any for any villain except the literal Beyonder, and she just like constantly has to be written out of plots. Otherwise, they would just resolve like that. 
Okay. So yeah, she's captured, obviously. And then they can't find her. And when they head back out of, you know, they find out that uh, Lilibet has been captured too. So they find out that Rachel and Lilibet have been taken to Edinburgh Edinburgh, and Alistair just happens to have an experimental fighter plane in his garage and is a qualified pilot to fly it. So the two of them fly to Edinburgh. Kitty and Alistair, as this is happening, are growing closer and closer. Lots of flirty conversations and furtive glances. They go to a high society ball at Edinburgh Castle together. They have their first kiss. She goes off to find the captured girls and runs into the Shadow King. Alistair gets captured and is going to be ritually sacrificed by Farouk to destroy the royal bloodline. And there's some sort of spell, so I guess now he does magic, whatever. It gets interrupted. Uh, Kitty phases him away, and he's like, well, the spell has started. I have to kill somebody. So he kills the fascist lady instead. I'm not. I... <laughs> Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Kitty and Alistair escape together in the back of a truck that ends up driving off of a pier. One of the guys working for the fascists pulls them out of the bottom of the harbor, and it turns out it's Wolverine. Oh. This is not 1990s. This is not, you know, Wolverine from from there. This is 1936 Wolverine. Yeah. He's not time traveling. So you have a lot of fun, like Kitty and Logan interactions where he doesn't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> so that's great. He does. Well, he's going to die in 90 years so, or in 60 <laughs> years. So he doesn't need to know. It's fine. <laughs> so true. Like a chump. Like a chump. Yeah. So anyway, he, he seems to have metal claw or he, he uses his claws, which I, you don't see a whole lot of historical Wolverine yeah. appearances. Somebody calls somebody. You, you can't really tell from the art, whether they're metal or bone, but somebody says that they're blades. So uh, there, there could be a goof here going on, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Cause weapon H didn't happen until, or weapon X didn't happen until seventies, eighties. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, Logan takes Kitty and Alistair back to the base he's working from, and it turns out that he's taking ops missions from a blind woman named Irene and a man named Mr. Raven. Wow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) A.K.A. Destiny and Mystique. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Rachel tries phoning her relatives in Poland to have them escape the Holocaust. And then she's like, wait, I don't even know their names or their numbers or anything. They all died so long before I was even born. Like, this is insane. Mm. She still wants to do something. So she resolves to murder every single Nazi instead, like a real, like 100 Nazi scalps (laughs) moment right here. She's like, I'll start with Hitler and then move my way down to, you know, Goebbels, Goering, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll just kill all the fucking Nazis, man. It's cool. You're just absolutely wild shit. And in the other room, Destiny's like, yeah, that ain't going to work, but we'll, we'll let her figure it out. <laughs> anyway, Shadow King infiltrates Rachel's memories of the X-Men and 616 history, which 
seems like it helps him not at all in his confrontation against Professor X a couple decades later, but cool, bud. <laughs> Rachel reaches out through the Phoenix Force out of this confrontation and awakens Lilibet from Shadow King's grasp. We get this panel where as uh, Lilibet is waking up, the Phoenix Firebird comes alive and, and is, you know, fired up in the pupil of Princess Lilibet's eyes. Now, in case our listeners haven't put it together yet, Lilibet is Queen fucking Elizabeth II. Which, first of all, we're recording this on the 11th of September. Literally the just, same week. The, yeah, just days after she passed away. What a fucking time to read this comic. Second right? of all, they have just implied that she is, the, the, you know, the firebird and the pupil tends to imply that you are a potential host for the phoenix. Which You're not can wrong. Only, <laughs> which can You're only not wrong. mean, which can only mean, as the immortal words on Jean Grey's tombstone, she will rise again. On top of that, <laughs> that makes her, the, at least on Earth, the first mutant on, or first human on screen to show prowess or potential for Phoenix. At this point, who's to say she wasn't a mutant? Well, that's actually a. That's, well, I mean, no, because this this came out twenty three years ago. Clearly, yeah, but. Clearly no healing Good. factor or immortality powers, but you know, could have been something else we didn't know about. Yeah. And I guess during the uh I'm the I'm, trial, I'm, kind of, I'm bummed that Nips didn't stay on this call to to make pot shots at the at the colonizer's expense. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> He's like, oh perfect time. <laughs> Bring someone from the colony in. <laughs> Wild. So why? I mean, what a what a fucking coincidence that this was in my regularly scheduled reading for this week. <laughs> no, seriously. And also, I mean, it just gets gnarlier, gnarlier. Like, so yeah, she she escapes. Wolverine falls, gets her scent. They pursue. So does a houndified Rachel, uh, Shadow King possessed Rachel. Alistair proposes marriage to Kitty. Mm-hmm. She's basically fucking Moira's dad. <laughs> I don't know how, like, how does that conversation go? She gets back to the present. She sees more and she's like, fuck your dad. <laughs> I mean, there's gotta be, there's gotta be a lifeline where she found this out. Right. You're talking about the many lives of Moira at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But like, okay. So do we know for sure this is her dad? Like no. it's the same family name. It is the same family name. I the the ages line up, but it's actually probably likely that it's not. We learn at the end of this that he died during World War II. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So I I, I just wanted I just wanted to get the joke in there. I'm sorry. Purposely withhold information for the lulls. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I respect it. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> but yeah, so Lilibet's on the run. She falls into this mystical room in Edinburgh Castle, and she finds a bunch of ancestral Scottish objects, the Royal Caledonian Crown, the 
Stone of Scone, which is like basically the the stone on which new monarchs are crowned. And the Sword of Scone, which seems to be an invention of this story, but basically you can imagine it goes along. It's a royal sword or whatever. Yeah. She gets possessed by the Shadow King, bonks Kitty on the head. They're all captured by Strucker and Shadow King until a little bit unpins her brooch and scratches Farouk on the hand with it. And that is the distraction they need to get an opening. Big fight. Wolverine versus Strucker and everyone else versus Shadow King, including first it's it's just Lilibet versus Shadow King on her own. She grabs this the sword and she holds it up <laughs> and is like, stay back. And it's like the size of her entire body. And she's like leaning over trying to, to hold this thing up. But she's still trying to fight off a multiversal being of pure evil. As a small child, you know, we just need we need to hold this up. You know, yes, colonizer, party to mass murder, rape, enslavement of, you know, giant parts of the world. We understand this. Fought off multiversal evil as a small child using a sword she could barely. The historical record should never forget this aspect of Queen Elizabeth II. That's all I'm saying. I mean, it's top five minimum. <laughs> I mean, like you got not you, a small you, feat. You got to put her in the rankings of warrior kings of the Marvel universe now. Like you know, she she can stand toe to toe with Namor, Doctor Doom, T'Challa, Queen Elizabeth. This is like this. This is this is some some serious swagger right here. Dude, do you think she's going to go to the Hellfire Gala? <laughs> that would be so sick. She, she better. Fuck, she absolutely better. Because as we'll learn at the end of this, the, 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 the title of this whole series, X-Men True Friends, you're led to believe that it's the, the friendship between Rachel and Kitty, and it kind of is. But it's also... The friendship between the two of them and Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. If she, if she didn't follow up on that invite to see her BFFs, what the fuck, Liz? I, dude, honestly, if they do bring, if they have one speech bubble in reference to this storyline, I will lose <laughs> my shit. I will be so impressed right. with like the digging. That, did, right. that they did right. for this random side one shot from yep. 23 years ago. <laughs> oh, oh, crazy. Okay. I know. What a boss. What a boss. I mean, yeah, you know, war crimes and historical record aside, personal heroism against the face of a multiversal evil. That's got to earn some commendation. Yeah, easily top five warrior monarch of the Marvel universe on earth <laughs> and present day. <laughs> it's like, it's like Dr. Doom, T'Challa, yeah. Namor, Ramatut, okay, Queen yeah. Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the lie? Where's the lie? This is canon. 
Namor's never fought off Shadow King. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so, yeah. Phoenix, you know, steps in at this point. Big psychic battle ensues. Lilibet hands the, the Sword of Scone to Kitty. Anoints her as protector of, of, or, you know, champion of the crown and of this realm. And she uses the power of friendship to team up with Rachel. They shoot a fucking energy beam through the sword, turn Farouk into a skeleton. He's fine a couple decades later when he has his confrontation with Xavier. But you know what? Whatever. And then the next page, they walk out through a door and they're back in the present. Oh. Yeah. And Queen Elizabeth. Damn, they didn't even get to say goodbye. I know, right? And present day, Queen Elizabeth is hosting a ball, and Logan is there for some reason, as is Excalibur side character Alessand Stewart, who's like a army brigadier, military brigadier, whatever. And in the middle of the ball, you know, they run into the the royal delegation, and Elizabeth Liz takes him aside and is like, "Isn't it great that we're all such good friends?" There's, there's a, you know, random handler is like, ma'am, beg your pardon, but the reception, and Elizabeth says, can wait, tell the minister, I, uh, tell the prime minister I am well aware of my duties as monarch, Mr. Moston Williams, but the, for these few moments, I am responsible to an older obligation, that of friendship, and she holds Rachel in Kitty's hands and walks off into the sunset. <laughs> oh, man. Just one little minor note through all of this there's been as if all of this craziness wasn't enough for the story there's another level of prophecy going on which i just didn't find the place to 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 talk about in recapping (laughs) but kitty's been having these visions of a ban however you pronounce that uh it's a scottish folktale equivalent of the irish banshee it's an old woman who is washing someone's clothing and if she's watching your clothing it's a portent of your death and she's watching washing a flight jacket like the one that kitty wears over her shadow cat uniform but it turns out that that's actually alastair's flight jacket and queen elizabeth tells us that he died in world war ii so maybe not actually moira's dad definitely some kind of relative or ancestor etc etc got it there we go that's x-men true friends well, that's fun. What a wild ride. This is the best comic that I've read for the pod in so long. It's just so fucking bonkers. Like, cl- say what you will about Claremont. When he's at the height of his powers, he will fucking go for it. He will absolutely <laughs> go for it. Yeah, one of my favorite things about, like, backstory or, like, something that happened decades ago or years ago or whatever are the, like, cameos yeah. of, like non-titular characters showing up yeah yeah so like having logan just kind of be there and doing and, his thing or and destiny Irene and mystique and, yeah yeah just having them just like for one page yeah just doing something and you're like totally oh, cool totally <laughs> it just like it rounds out like each character's respective history and mm-hmm. you can like point them at again like a Wikipedia page of like, they can be seen <laughs> Yes, <laughs> in this random issue in the 1940s and this, that, and the other. And you're like, yeah, oh, yeah. cool. <laughs> I love that stuff. Absolutely. Story. So I really had the highs <laughs> and lows of, of uh, 1999 X-Men this week. Yeah, you really did. That was, that was 
That was a roller coaster. Should we uh, move along and, and man some sands? We should man some sands. We got eight issues. Eight of issues of Sandman. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to... Do, I, I, would, I want to hear your reactions, your thoughts. I guess we should probably do a little bit of a plot recap, but like honestly, the, it's, the plot isn't what's important here. That's fine with me. I think I think it'll be interesting to yeah talk about like takeaways or like things we like about the book because yes. it'll be fun to do read these and then go and watch the show because I haven't watched the show yet. I'm okay. pretty sure you have. Yeah, this this will set you up for the first six episodes of the show. What you've already read. It's interesting. Yeah these these issues cover a lot. Yeah, like each issue does a lot they do a lot of work yeah i really like the like world building yeah that game is doing it is really the strongest part of the entire series is just what a deep and intricate world he builds mm-hmm. within within the dreaming and also just how it affects the real world and sort of the yeah the aspects of oh, the real yeah. world that gets yeah to, get the different on. like well, so this is happening, and then because of that, this person is having unending dreams. This person yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, yeah. That that's in the first issue. Because yeah, so dream the manifestation of of dream, who is a an, basically an anthropomorphic aspect of human consciousness, not a god, but beyond that, not predicated on belief, but predicated on consciousness itself. He gets captured by some magic-y dude and is held for 90 or for like 70 years. Yeah, yeah. They were trying to capture death. Yes. Trying to capture death to conquer death basically, to yeah. to control death and go about their lives controlling who mm-hmm. who dies and who doesn't. Exactly. The spell whether it was botched or they aimed it poorly or whatever, they ended up capturing Dream, yeah, who is easily referred to as the Sandman mm-hmm. uh, instead of or Death. Morpheus. Turns yeah. out, or Morpheus. Turns out, Dream is the little brother of Death, which is yes. adorable. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and so he's captured, and he refuses to talk to his captors, and so they hold on to him for seventy years. And this is just a pure pride play, right? Like he he thinks these fucking mortals uh, i'm so pissed off that you've done this to me i'm beyond you you want to bargain for things you want i you're gonna die and i can wait you out but yeah. he he fails to consider the damage that this does to the real world like you said all these people who either can't sleep or can't wake up and the the way that the world goes by without them there's also kind of like a what the fuck happened to the 20th century aspect to this like okay so you're putting responsibility for like the world wars directly at the at their feet here but yeah there's also just like this is a very heavily i I think the biggest thing for me about this first volume of sandman is they don't know the tone of the book yet they don't know what exactly what they're trying to tell and so you see like this first issue is like pure lovecraftian horror you've got a bunch of like cultists who are some summoning you know using like ancient weird british magics with a k right 
<laughs> to to yeah. summon some being of immense power that they don't understand at all. It doesn't even bother to communicate with them. And it's just so far beyond their ken that it ends up just being like kind of a bust or kind of weird. And then terrible things happen to them, horrendous body horror, et cetera, et cetera. Very Lovecraftian for the first issue. But then you've got like all this 80s goth shit going on, like heavily aesthetized into like the 80s goth scene. Of course, if you take one look at Neil Gaiman, you understand that immediately. And then there's like the issue of how close into into regular DC continuity do we want to make this? Yeah. It makes like each issue has like one reference to the DC verse. Yeah. Uh, whether and some quite deep. And yeah, so, whether it's like someone like Etrigan who is in hell and he goes Oh, I didn't, hell I didn't even know there. that that character. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like a he's like he's a demonic anti-hero yeah. character. Or an actual set place, uh setting like Arkham Asylum. Right there, and you have and, like Scarecrow, yes, literally hanging out, <laughs> and it's like just like side characters that are established within DC greater universe. Yeah, John Constantine. They they don't drive other than oh, you call it Constantine? I always thought it's called it Constantine. That's it's it's a apparently it's a very American thing. To call it Constantine, really? it, it's pretty. I, I, I pronounced it Constantine in my head for the longest time, and in the show they say Constantine. Oh, really? Yeah, and then and then there's been a whole thing on Twitter since then. Like the biggest fan reaction to all this is going to be the pronunciation of Constantine. <laughs> so yeah, like he he was a driving point for an issue. Yeah. So like, and all then, these uh, DC- Doctor Destiny for a couple others who. I guess was also a DC character. Oh, I assumed just from the look, totally like his first look in the first issue. Yeah, I was like, oh, that that's very. He looks very the questiony, very mm. Watchmeny. Yeah, I was like, okay, okay, he's probably a character. <laughs> but yeah, so the overarching story of this first issue: Dream gets captured. He has three tools. Yes, one is a ruby, one is a mask, and one is his little pouch of sand. Yeah, so you're already changing genres yet again, right? You're going from like Lovecraftian horror to this sort of like adventure reclamation story as a way to kind of jump between like big time set piece ideas. Here, there's right. the issue with Constantine. But then there's the the trip down to hell and the introduction of Lucifer. And this was Lucifer's first appearance. Lucifer went on to have their own series that lasted, you know, many, many years. And I think, and was adapted into a TV show before Sandman even was. Mm -hmm. And this was the first introduction of that character. So that's cool. I didn't know that the Lucifer TV show was the DC Lucifer. I thought it was just telling me. Uh, uh, devil TV show. I'm pretty sure it was. It's wild. Yeah. But yeah, so first issue is capturing dreams. Second issue is him getting out and figuring out what's going on in the world, what's changed over the last 70 years. Yes. The next... And your introduction to the dreaming as well. His his, his sort of the dream realm and some of the characters that inhabit it. Like Cain and Abel and Lucien. Yeah. And the gargoyles. The next... Four issues are him reclaiming his pieces. The 
Issue after that is dealing with Doctor Destiny, and, and then and then that the changes. Issue. Yeah, sorry the the Doctor Destiny arc kind of changes genres yet again, and it becomes a more like conventional horror suspense, right? Like Doctor Destiny in the car with the woman who he ends up shooting it, or the diner scene, which is like all of the terrible body horror that he's inflicting on all these people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the last issue is he has reclaimed his power. He has reclaimed his items. What now? Yeah. And he goes and hangs out with death for a day, his big sister. And she's like, well, you have a kingdom to reclaim, sir. Your kingdom has fallen. And uh, you need to go and be dream again. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> and that's kind of, that's, that's kind of the, like the intro setup to the over, What's going to happen next? That's like the big question. Exactly. Yeah. And it's all of this, like, it's kind of remarkable to me that that the show even bothered to adapt most of this first book at all. Because really, it doesn't introduce the central conflict until that that issue with death, where it's like, you need to figure your shit out. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> this is this is... As much as the book often isn't about him, because Dream is so distant as a character. Like, you get a lot of this, like, there, there's the obvious, like, he's mopey and gothy and, like, very emotionally reserved. Uh, he's proud, he's haughty, he is, feels like he's above humanity in so many ways. But also just, like, the fact that he is not a human, he's an anthropomorphized aspect of consciousness. Like he's incredibly distant as a character in so many ways. And so just like slowly chiseling at this edifice and being like, dude, be vulnerable, be open, be real with us. Like there are people who care about you, like have actual interactions with the world, like both the central conflict to Sandman and also kind of immaterial to what Sandman actually is, because at the end of the day, it he's not a character. Like it is about him growing and changing. It is about that, but it, it's kind of, in a sense, it's about the world changing because he is an aspect of all of us. And so, yeah, he he's presented with this necessity to grow and change, but also he's not a person, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's an interesting, yeah, an interesting sort of in between a needle that they, in my opinion, managed to thread throughout this the series. Yeah, they also, as far as like this world setting, they imply that there is a significance to naming things, like the 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 first letter of each name. Yeah. So like, uh, dream death. Destiny, Destiny and Despair, yeah, I think are all brothers and sisters. They're yeah. all related, and they all have the same D name. Yeah, and then Cain and Abel have a gargoyle named Gregory or something, mm-hmm. and Abel gets a new gargoyle. He wants to name it a name that starts with an I. Irving, and yeah. Cain gets pissed, and he's like, "No, you can't name a gargoyle a non-G name." Yeah, and so like, there's this kind of this general theme of like naming convention that I wonder if it'll be 
a thing going forward. It's kind of as, cool. as Noman said, magic is the invocation of names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> There's just something extremely British about Sandman. And uh, not being British myself, I don't like get it. But there's just like in I, I see a similar thing with like Claremont and ideas of Excalibur, especially towards magic of like, yes, this is what it is and how it works. And there's like this sort of like I'm I'm doing my little British pomp and circumstance of like this is the proper way that all the things are done. Hand motions here. But I don't know. It it, it for some reason, like I, I don't get it, but I get that they get it. There, there is an importance yeah. to it. There's a significance to it, yeah. but it doesn't come from our own personal understanding. A couple other plots set up for the future in this volume. You mentioned the sleeping sickness already and the effects of, of people who either lack dreams or can't wake up in the waking world as a result of, of uh, Morpheus's imprisonment that will come up later. This idea of what the fuck happened to the 20th century. And then also when dream is in hell on his way to an audience with Lucifer, the, the demon who you mentioned before brings him past a woman who's imprisoned named Nada. And she, she's like, she recognizes him and she says, you know, it's you. Do do you still love me? And he says, I do, but I haven't yet forgiven you. And he, she calls him 10,000 years ago from 10,000 years ago. And she calls him Kai cool. So that'll come up again. And like I said, just sort of like dreams, pride and loneliness. And then the other one, the, in the diner issue, the lesbian character, Judy calls someone named Rose on the phone that's Rose Walker, who's the main character of the next story arc. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Also, so like things that have changed since Dream has been gone over the last 70 years. So like Dream, Dream's castle and his realm all are built from dreams. And if he's not there to mm-hmm. rule it and to rule dreams, things start to fall apart. Yeah. <laughs> so some of his like named servants have changed or don't exist anymore or have left. Yeah. Lucian still remembers. And so there's like his number one right-hand man. Cain the, and Abel used to be servants. The thing about dream. how the, the words on all the books in the library vanished one day. That's yeah. just like a throwaway line from Lucian, but that was very cool. That was super cool. So his castle is in shambles. And so like just that conceptually is something that Dream can go and work on now. It's like he's got his power now. So like go back and rebuild your kingdom, sir. Exactly. But then when he goes to Lucifer Morningstar to go and find, because he finds out that a demon has uh, his mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he goes to Morningstar, he's like, hey, I need you to find, help me find this demon. He's like, well, you don't have to ask just me. There's three of us now. It is a uh, triconomy or whatever. Yeah. A triumphant triumvirate. And uh, he's like, oh, okay. And so we <laughs> have this giant fly-looking guy, Beelzebub. And then you also have the demon the demon uh, Azazel. Yeah. Uh, Who's just like a flying a pyramid of eyes, like a like a kind of a shawarma made of eyes. <laughs> and he floats. Yeah, with two floating hands. Yeah. He looks like a Rayman gone. <laughs> <laughs> and so the three of them are the lords of hell, as opposed to just Lucifer. Also, um, how boring 
of DC to only have one hell. Anyway. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Throwing the shade. But so anyway, uh, Dream gets his mask and Lucifer mentions that he's going to kill him one day. <laughs> uh, sorry, he's going to destroy him. Yeah. Not necessarily kill. That'll be interesting. A note on the creators. Dave McKeon's covers, I'm just always so fascinated with. Just mm-hmm. like this mixed media usage of photography, like sculpture, illustration, painting, found objects, collage. Like, I don't know. It They mm-hmm. look completely different from anything else in comics before or since. And I absolutely love it. Yeah, it is pretty. It's uh, very incredibly unique. Mm-hmm. Oh, Martian Manhunter is in this. Yeah. Side, side note. And, and also they make a note in the first issue that because uh, there is a, a DC like hero named Sandman and they're like, yeah, that guy was just trying to do like more. It like was subconsciously influenced by the lack of dream in the world. Like, OK, all right. All right. And <laughs> this is this this shit's going to be scaled all the way down and out. And, and I think eventually it's going to be like written out of regular continuity with DC because it just doesn't fit tonally. And and mm. you also have like a real contrast of expectations when like, for example, the, the whole diner issue with Dr. Destiny where he has 24 mm-hmm. hours and he just absolutely fucks up these people's lives. And you learn over the television, just like the world around him, like shit's just getting absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. through his influence using the dream ruby and salmon uh, morpheus doesn't even show up until the 24 hours After are done for hours yeah, yeah and everyone's dead basically like he's this isn't like a i need to get there and save these people and have a you know climactic confrontation with the super with the supervillain. it's like all right, I, I got to get my shit in order. Like, who the fuck are you again? All right, let's mm-hmm. go. Yeah. So just like this, the, the type of stories that they're trying to tell here really don't fit in the superhero genre where like people are care about <laughs> the, the fate of innocence or, or, you know, things that are going on or anything like that. Like, and so it's a really weird straddling line where you do have all of these at least to start all of these mainline DC characters and superheroes and stuff kind of intersecting with the book, but as not the, the genre that this is in and yeah. it conflicts with your expectations really heavily. Right. And that that's more DC's fault than it is Sandman. Like, of course. I think yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's totally fine to have cameos of existing superheroes, but mm and have it set like the world is vast and and yeah like it's this it's the other side of the coin of the same complaint that people have of like moon knight on disney plus where it's just like mm, yeah. this was this crazy story but how come it didn't cross over with any of the other marvel superheroes and so like, like but now you have guy. Yeah. right and then you have sandman that does cross over with dc superheroes right. but because of the story that given wants to tell with sandman it's gotta end up not being part of the world because it's too dark like <laughs> <laughs> not just too dark i think also just like 
like I guess what I'm the the point that I'm trying to make is like this isn't a story about solving problems or or saving the world, right? Because we're <laughs> being told this story from the, per- the perspective of an aspect of reality, yeah, and not the perspective of a human who yeah. has a blink of a lifespan, yeah, and that's fine, yeah. Like I would love to have a Marvel story told from eternity's perspective. <laughs> I bet you would. Right? Like, ah. Yeah. Or from death's perspective, talking about how Noel is her daddy. <laughs> but, you know. Right. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> like, can you imagine, like, what's, a, what's an autobiography from a celestial look like? And then I stood, I fell asleep on Earth for a couple million years. Yeah, and then and these little ants got crazy. my way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some guy who proclaims himself a mutant, but he was born a scientist, removed my head and transmuted it into something else. I was very not happy with that. (laughs) (laughs) They made me notice them. What the hell? (laughs) Right? It's just like to be detached from saving humanity, I think is totally fine. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't need to be removed from... From the universe, a, a comic book universe. I I get your point. I think I think it would. I think it, I there's like just it a difference. I think there's just a different of ex, difference of expectations when superheroes are running around. Yeah, and, when you have the DC or the Marvel yeah, stamp on it. Yeah, there yeah. is a level of expectation of humanity first. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Beautifully said. <laughs> a couple other notes on the the creative team principal penciler for most of this volume sam keith well known for uh do you remember the animated series it, it was adapted from a comic book but animated series on mtv liquid television the mass uh, the max with two x's yes same guy that was a great random fucking show yeah, same, same the Max, the head, yeah. and Eon Flux. Uh-huh. Oh man. Wild. Okay. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. And I just, as a comics nerd, I love very different from most contemporary comics, just the density of storytelling. Like you were saying, like so much happens. And it's just yeah. Back in the day, they put they packed so much more on a page, like smaller panels, smaller, you know. Uh, more text, et cetera. It just, you ended up with much denser storytelling in a given issue than you do today. Mm-hmm. And unconventional scene cutting. The hell issue was such a, I mean, really like the last five, four issues were the high points for me, but the, the hell issue, I think the art was just on another level. First, the starry trip into hell and then the glimpse of the first glimpse of Lucifer's throne, first glimpse of Lucifer himself, just this sort of like almost bored affect. <laughs> and then like the throng of demons and then the line art in monochrome of their imagine dreams, imagination battle versus the demon. It's so cool. Just like just always changing in tone and, and visual style, but always feeling consistent and correct for what's being depicted because this is a story that just can span so much different reality and concept and place and ideas. And then that line at the end, what power would hell have if the imprisoned couldn't dream of heaven? Just like, Oh, oof, oof, 
Oof. I see. And it's funny because like, I thought that the bigger dream claim would have been what demon in hell doesn't dream of becoming king. Oh, yeah. But I'm down for the dream of heaven too. That's totally fine. <laughs> it is. It gets to the the power of hell itself, right? Like why it mm-hmm. works and exists. I also really like the use of negative space on a lot of these pages in the last two in the last two uh, issues. You've got a lot of um, issue seven that you've got like most of the page in black, and then the panels are scrunched down really small, but some of the text will go into it, you know. And then mm-hmm. you have when in issue eight where he's hanging out with death you have the opposite where the panel yeah. the, the pages are in white and the the gutter space is is huge and these panels are just sort of floating in a sea of white to to kind of give you a sense of death's purity and or not purity but um lightheartedness uh maturity there's a shift in tone here that comes from this dark to this light that is really really intense uh also they're hanging out in washington square park didn't see nate gray there but he won't come sure you sure it's not metropolis square park (laughs) uh yeah who knows they don't do major cities i know i think they did say new york at some point in that issue Oh yeah, that's true. They did, and and yeah, just the contrast between gloomy dream and cheerful, well balanced death is such a kick in the pants. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, know. I, both of their representations are so different than what you would naturally assume they'd look like. Right? It's so interesting. So yeah, anything else for you on uh, on Volume One of Sandman? No, this is um, it's a it's a fun read. I this is my so volume one. This is my third time reading it. Yeah. Volume two will be my second time. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I'm not. I'm not emotionally invested. But yeah. I. I all three times I have liked the read. Yeah. Like, yeah. but it also felt like if I put it down, never came back, I would be content. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very, it's like, it's a great issue zero, but it didn't make me be like, Oh, what's happening next. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not personally invested in dream just yet. I really like him as a character and right. I don't mind seeing more of him. Yeah. But if that was it, I'd be like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's, I totally get it. Yeah. And that, that's yeah. also not at the point where he's at in character development where, he would be worth that investment, like almost purposefully. Right. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to whatever comes next. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So next week, then nine through 16. Yeah. 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 Okay. So nine through 16 of Sandman. I also have <laughs> I've got five Devil's Reign side stories. Are you going to do so, all of them? Uh, yeah. Okay. It's, De- it's Devil's Reign. <laughs> We'll see. Okay. More than likely I will. But uh, we'll see what the week holds. Cool. Next on my list are uh, the beginning of a uh, Warlock series. Issue, I have nine issues of that back-to-back in my packs, which is uncommon. So yeah. I may only do that. The, the next thing after that is a crossover called The Eighth Day, which is... Iron Man, Thor, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, and a Juggernaut special. So 
So I might give a pretty cursory report huh. on that, or it might be a big and interesting deal considering it doesn't involve these shitty ass X-Men comics. <laughs> we'll see. Cool. Well, fine. I guess with that. Yes. We'll put the outro music uh, oh. here. Okay. And then uh, we'll apologize for Part of it's his fault. Part of it, yeah, right. So I'm I'm gonna do a hey, we just had a very special guest, not guest, part of the show, uh, pop in to <laughs> our recording right now. Yeah, uh, Nipuna, the editor of, of Hype is my superpower. You wanna say what's up to the people? Hello, hello, the three or five people that listen to this podcast. <laughs> Hey, we don't give you true you've numbers, metri- okay? You've got the metrics just like us. I know. I we know. D- we just say <laughs> handful, okay? <laughs> I mean, come on. At the end of the day, you guys got to start somewhere, so. Damn right. Yeah. That's where we're getting the Sri Lankan community in here, right? That's now. right. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll go over to world. Staten Island and I'll, 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 I'll let the Staten Island Sri Lankans know. That we got nips now. Everything's good. Yes. Oh, maybe I shouldn't tell them your name, or I should clarify that you're not that Rajapak. Yeah, Rajapaksha. 